producer. What should we start with? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> so what do we do? Um, I'll do like a proper intro. I've been trying to do that. Um, yo, what's up, guys? Welcome to Podducer, the podcast for producers. Today, we are joined by Casey Ray. Hello. I said that correct. Yeah, right? you did. Okay. You did. Um, Casey, what do you do for the people? Like, to tell them. Not like for the people. Maybe you do stuff for the people. But what do you do? Uh, so I am a producer, DJ, and uh, co-owner and creative director of the new iteration of The Warehouse. And uh, yeah, that's all that's, that stuff. That's what I do. Yeah. Okay. Okay. <laughs> cool. Um, we always start out with just like a fun question, which is, what was your first concert that you Ooh. went to? Not like a performance. God. <laughs> I know it's a thinker. I mean, I'm 36, so it's like <clears throat> I remember where it was. It was in the it was in like St. Louis, and my parents took me to like one of these like like boomer rock bands. Like, mm. I want to say Sticks. I think is what it was. Sticks. Yeah, dude. Yeah. <laughs> Domori gato mister. Did they play that one? Uh, I I don't know. They, pro I was, they I was, probably I was like, did. I was like five or six or something. Like this. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So this was early on. Are your parents? They're the boomers. I mean. I mean. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean. Yeah. <laughs> For sure. Okay. No, it was. Uh, it was. Yeah. It was about a lot of. Uh, you know, people who are now in their like late sixties. Uh, like whole place smelled like weed so that's sick yeah and i was like oh, mommy what's that smell did you you were not aware you were just like oh. I, it just smelled like skunk and i was like oh what's that <laughs> yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> and you said this was in st louis mm -hmm. or are you from st louis mm -hmm. i was born in st louis yep okay yep. gotcha yep from uh yeah was born in st louis and then basically like later moved to germany <clears throat> basically live half my life in between like st louis and germany that's crazy but now it's chicago and germany now it's chicago and germany <laughs> so when did i you... moved to chicago from from germany from berlin really mm -hmm. what was the draw uh to chicago uh, i mean i've always been like like djing and playing house music um i've been drawn to it <clears throat> since i was like a kid i used to listen to you know, like, well, I think one of the first cassette tapes, like, I got, like, a cassette tape as a kid from, like, a like a Robert Owens cassette tape. And, uh, you know, I've always liked, like, a lot of the, you know, back then, like, the 90s pop house stuff, like the Technotronic, Pump Up the Jam, Inner City, like, all this kind of stuff. And I had no clue that it was even called, like, house music. I was like, oh, this is, like, you know, like, dance music. <laughs> and, um, <clears throat> yeah, uh, once I started DJing, which was, like... 2008-9 when I first started DJing um like I was instantly like gravitating towards like house music and moved back to Germany and then uh when I was in Germany I started DJing again and I kind of realized like oh shit like you know I started getting bookings in like Luxembourg and then I was living in the southwest of Germany so <clears throat> I get bookings in Luxembourg and then like over in Metz in France like right across the border and then in Frankfurt and I didn't really have any money to like travel it was like my first job when I like moved over there. I was like teaching English, and I was like oh. basically like broken. <laughs> and so I was like, ah, oh, man, I'm living in Europe and everything's so close, but I can't even afford to like travel. And then like started DJing, and then people were like, yeah, we're gonna like 
you know, give you a fee. And I'm like, hmm, okay, well, that's kind of tight if I got to buy my flight. And we're going to buy your flight. And we're going to pay for your hotels. And I was like, oh, okay. like this can be, yeah, exactly. <laughs> All right. <laughs> so, wow. yeah, then one thing led to another. And then uh, I like left, I was living in Zarbrücken is the name of the town. It's like right on the border of France. And then started getting bookings in Berlin <clears throat> and moved up to Berlin and started getting some residencies there, playing a lot. And that's actually what caused me to move to Berlin. And then, I don't know, Berlin started moving more in this, like, if you're not doing, like, super hard techno, you're just not getting booked, period. Like, because mm. they have no interest in anything else. Really? And so that kind of, like, I was like, okay, well, this is getting kind of annoying. I mean, I was, like, DJing sometimes, like, five, six days a week. Getting, like, sometimes, I mean, I had, a, I had a gig on a Tuesday in a bar. And I was playing on some, like, old, like, CDJ 400s. <laughs> You know, I'd have like two USB sticks and these are like the little bitty, the little bitty old little school platters. <laughs> yeah. Did they even take USB sticks? I thought they, like it was like CDs only. At a no, point, no, right? this one. So there's the, there's the 400 and then there was like the 400D and then, or there was like another mm. model. And then that model was the first model to take USB sticks. Mm. Yeah. And it's like, uh, you know, completely, you know, it looks like a calculator. Like, you know, there's no, there's no, uh, was it album artwork or anything? It doesn't tell you when you've played the song before. <laughs> so you had like two USB sticks completely loaded up. <clears throat> and I played at this bar called like old CCCP. It's still there actually. And, um, I would play from like 10 PM and sometimes to like eight o'clock in the morning, mm-hmm. like just like straight through. <laughs> wow. And just get like wrecked the whole night. I like, <laughs> yeah, I got was it like good pay or was it more like a passion? <sighs> Cause it's just, like such it, a long gig you know it's one of those things where you just kind of like everybody everybody was kind of fighting for slots so you just kind of took what you had yeah so i guess it was passion that like made you take this horrendous pay <laughs> i mean because you just really like doing music yeah but i mean like i was happy like it was a good day if i left with 80 euros because i got 10 percent of the bar mm. you know so gotcha. the bar did you know 800 euros i made like 80 yeah, unlike on a tuesday bad. 800 euros is like a lot you know it's like almost a thousand euros on the bar so it's quite a lot and uh yeah i don't know i uh i, I did that and yeah then i had like a gig on a two on wednesday then i'd play thursday every the week at another place and like <clears throat> yeah i don't know i got i got sick of like watching people who just because they were doing techno get like 800 a thousand euros but, but because you're doing house music playing the same events playing the same venues Sometimes playing higher up on the lineup than these guys and then getting, you know, 200 euros, 250 euros put in your hand. I'm just like, yeah, yeah, all right, this isn't making much sense. <laughs> so, I mean, do we got to talk about this? Like, I'm very, I know Mace is curious about the whole like Berlin experience too. Um, but like, yeah, I mean, I don't even know where to start. Like, how do you compare... I don't even, it's like such a broad question, like compare DJing in Berlin versus here, you know? Uh, it's way different. I mean, there are some parties and some events here in Chicago. Um, <clears throat> that would, I would say as far as like the vibe is concerned or on that level. I mean, I think the stuff at like Podlays or Podlage, I'm sure I'm butchering this. I don't, I don't speak. Oh Polish. yeah. No, I don't, I don't speak, I've never I don't, been, I don't speak Polish. So. <laughs> Isn't that, that's in Chicago. Though, yeah. Right? It's right yeah, on, yeah. uh, was it Milwaukee and I think Central, Central Park? Park yeah. yeah. Like right on the border of, um, 
I, was it Logan and Avondale? I was saying they? Pod Lassie, and I That's can't be I, yeah. more wrong. So <laughs> it's, 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 apparently, it's like people have told me this. I got a lot of Polish friends, and they were like, "No, it's like Pod Lasie," and I was like, "All right, okay." <laughs> and then I, I I'll say it right three times, and then butcher it. Like, <laughs> yeah, you yeah. speak German, but it's so different from Polish. Yeah, it's that like it's, it's can't really. Yeah, like, yeah, totally different. My, my mouth don't make those noises. So like they have they have a good little party at that venue. That place is popping. Is like, it? Yeah, yeah. Dude, There's, I'm not even that far from there. That, that, go. I'm seriously, it is, it is it's a vibe. You know, I like they've got this very like up front. There's this like um, <clears throat> like mid century like Polish Eastern European like furniture. It's very like you know they, like this like mid century style like antique that, leather yeah. seats and stuff. And yeah. there's this like 1970s. <clears throat> like wallpaper on the wall and it's very it's very like uh i don't know i guess like from, loungy or like yeah uh, see in berlin we have these things called um uh, like tanzbaths like dance bars and uh-huh. it reminds me of this it's like a a bar a traditional bar up front there's like a little lounge area but there's plenty of room for people to sit and then the back there's like a small area um like to dance yeah but uh, yeah it's like uh <clears throat> Yeah, it's a good combination. You know, it makes it fun. You, you can go talk to your friends, chill out for a bit, and then, like, go back there. In the back, it's, like, super dark. And, like, people are there, like, <clears throat> to have a good time. Nobody has their phones out. It's, like, none of that shit. Like, so... Yeah. So, to me, I like it. You know, that's that's what I was used to. You know, it's a super receptive crowd. For sure. I feel like, okay, just to, like, steer this a little bit more. Like, how did you find yourself in Berlin? Like, you said you went there to teach... But what, again, that's like kind of a major thing to be like, I'm going to go there and then now live there and, you know. Yeah, I'm, so like I said, I was, I moved to Zarbrücken and um, like I was at, like, I was actually in the Air Force, like still I was in the Air Force Reserves and I had to, <clears throat> I did that to pay for my college mm. and then I had to, <clears throat> uh, I switched my units and part of like me getting out of that unit and getting a new contract meant that I'd extend for two more years. And so I did that. And then once those two years were up, I mean, I was living in Zarbrücken and to be honest, like it's got a, it's a cool little town and you know, there's, that's kind of where I was able to really kind of get my feet wet. But I mean, there was nothing really kind of going on there. So, uh, I started getting a lot of, like I started getting a lot of bookings and booking requests in Berlin, even while I was living there. And so I kind of realized that, okay, I can, you know, moved to Berlin and I've already kind of got like a, like a base. Yeah. You know, so it was like, uh, it's not like I just woke up one day and was like, I'm going to move to Berlin, you know. Have you been to the Berghain? I have been, <laughs> been to the Berghain. Okay. Yeah. That's like the only club I know because yeah. it's just notorious. But well, yeah. Okay. How was that experience? Uh, is it a good club compared to other clubs? Does it, is, does it live up to the hype? Okay, this is my opinion, but there, there, def- there, de- there definitely is a hype factor there, 100%. Yeah. I mean, when I went there, you know, you there's like the intimidation factor on the door, like, oh, like, is my hair parted right? Am I going to get in? I got denied. Yeah. yeah, I got denied. I'm not ashamed <laughs> to admit it. Yeah. You know, <clears throat> I like, I, I used to work like, a, like at a couple of places as like a bouncer actually in Berlin and then uh, for like extra money. And I used to work with like a lot of the doormen. And from like the conversations I've had with them, there's really, they do want to keep like tourists out. And there is sort of like a, um, when you live in Berlin long enough, you can kind of like smell like, like the softness on somebody. You can like, Oh, this, this guy hasn't seen some crazy shit. You know what I mean? Like you've got some, like, 
some like life and youth in your eyes still like you're just not completely like <laughs> mm. you know I, i've seen a guy desensitized get, get, i've seen a guy get fisted in the club nothing phases me anymore you know? so. yeah. <laughs> well so like that's the thing is like that's how you hear it is there's like literally like sex parties and yeah. just like crazy yeah. shit going on like i mean is know, that is that real how real yes. yeah yeah yes but it's not as in your face as you would think it is okay i mean you're I don't like, know. Well, no, I'll, just, I'll just tell you the first time I went there, like, you know, when I went in there, when I went there the first time, I was with, actually with Kevin Knapp and Audio Jack. And actually, Audio Jack, the guys, both Jamie and Richie, they were playing at Caterpillar with Kevin, which is like right across the street, basically. <clears throat> Richie wanted to go. Jamie was a sensible one and made him go home. <laughs> so then me and Kevin and a group of friends, like, went to Berghain. We got in. Like, Kevin Knapp actually, like, like, like bucked up on the doorman that day and the guy the doorman like walked up and he goes you know it was like i don't know eight o'clock in the morning on a sunday and he goes have you been here before or you know and like kevin's like nigga i make house music <laughs> you know <what> I'm saying? <laughs> and the, the doorman was just like uh uh, uh i didn't ask that <laughs> yeah did it work he was like so thrown off guard he just let us in <laughs> i mean I don't, I don't there's not it's not too often that big two big black dudes like roll up at the door anyways so yeah, he let us in and, you know, you go in there and the place is like, <clears throat> it's massive. It is like massive. It's an old, like a power plant, basically. It's like, there's like, like 150 foot ceilings. It's insane. Yeah. And it's got this very brutalist, like, you know. Yeah. Brutalist. Yeah. Architecture. It's there's like concrete like, and whatever. Dude, there's a 30 foot marble angel at the bottom of the stairwell that somebody hand carved. Wow. Like, like the statue of like, it's like a statue of like David, the angel. And it's like, just like gigantic whoa oh and um the like the entire place there's like an art gallery yeah like that's the best way i can put it like it's got like they've they've and this is this is true with like for a lot of berlin clubs and just berlin in general and actually it's like europe in general but they they go the extra mile uh when it comes to like every fine detail like shit you would never expect to see here <clears throat> everything is like there's a bar called the bear bar so if you walk up another Berghain floor, floor and you turn left and you go up the other stairs, like on the, there's stairs that are like parallel to the panorama bar stairs. And when you go up there, there's like a bear bar and it's for like, you know, like bears and like, like a heavy set gay guy. Mm. And you bears. go in. Okay, yeah, I bears, was yeah. not following <laughs> at oh, first, yeah. but yes, but, yeah. I know that. Yeah. <laughs> okay. And so there's a bar and in this bar, they had like sculptures out of like sugar. They like would take sugar you know, put it in a pile, heat it, and then they, like, while it was, um, uh, you know, I guess, like, still caramelized, they, like, formed, like, you know, like, it looked like a bunch of, like, bodies, like, intertwined, like, laying on the floor. Oh, and, like, shit. they had, like, the detail was so insane down to, like, the musculature and, like, the backs and stuff like that. Like, you know what I mean? This is, this is what this place is. Yeah. So, it, worth the hype? Not worth the hype? <laughs> <clears throat> I've been there like a shitload of times. I've literally gone there just to like go get ice cream before. <laughs> they have like an ice cream and sandwich bar. And like, there was like a joke that like, there's a DJ in Berlin named click click. And we were just like, Oh, you want, you want to go get ice cream? All right. And that means we go into Berghain, look around a little bit, see what's going on, grab an ice cream and leave. <laughs> yeah. And, um, yeah, I don't know for me, I'm like really used to it. Uh, so sometimes like the crowd is like super, super dope you know everybody's kind of doing their own thing everybody's everybody is legitimately there to dance it's probably more locals at that point or like mm. at least everyone is 
you know there for the music or yeah i mean yeah everybody and the thing is there's there's like a couple different crowds that go there you've got like the people that are like 100 percent there for the music then you have these people that like it's like their religion to go to Berghine. like that's all they do <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. every weekend yeah and these are like ah, we only go to Berghine. you know <laughs> the tech techno elitist uh, comes I mean, out these, in these, them these, like yeah yeah i mean but like it, the funny thing is these exact same people you would see them like move from like the you know ireland or like like the netherlands <clears throat> they're in berlin for like six months they show up and they've got like a total neck up to their neck and they're just like oh you know <laughs> i'm a little baby in this big city and then like six months later they're like all black and like balenciaga glasses and just like i'm just too techno for this world you just don't even know uh. and it's like bro shut the fuck up <laughs> <laughs> do you like techno i do i like okay. good techno um yeah i sometimes like the bear kind techno is too like industrial for me mm-hmm I'm definitely more into like the Detroit style that has a bit more like soul and rhythm and groove to it. Um, but I mean, on festivals and sometimes like, I think even that like really like boom, boom, boom stuff can be, it has its time and place. It's just not something that I would typically gravitate towards. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Gotcha. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, there's just this, uh, techno snobbery. I like techno too. I agree. But for some reason specifically with that genre do you think it originates from places like the Berghain, where it's like so this is life yeah i mean they've definitely done a good job with like lifestyle branding in that venue uh-huh i mean like people <clears throat> like i said people like live for that venue right um but i don't i guess i've never never like gotten that into like any one place where i've like made that part of my identity yeah yeah you're not yeah, yeah. you can appreciate it without yeah. making it your identity exactly totally. i yeah. totally get that so what would be some underrated places in berlin that you know just because any again the only thing that we know or i know is the Berghain. never been to berlin um but where like if someone was going you'd be like yeah you could go there but also these places are cool too there's a lot there's i mean lot. yeah i i think at one point like uh I think it's like like 10 of the best clubs in the world were in Berlin at mm. one point. Mm. You know, <clears throat> I mean, well, there's a lot of famous venues there. There's, uh, you know, you got Berghain and then like Trezor. And Trezor was like the first like real, like successful Berlin techno club. And basically the guys from Detroit left Detroit, went to Berlin as the wall was falling and basically brought techno to Berlin. Mm. <clears throat> wow. uh, and so Trezor is like a, I don't know. That's like, uh, like to me, that's the real church more so than Berghain is. And then, um, yeah, you've got Watergate and Watergate, you know, they've been around for forever. Like they're around, I think they opened like 2002 or 2003 and they used to do like a lot of different stuff. They did like, uh, you know, like drum and bass and like house and techno. And there's a bunch of like famous artists that like have come out of, uh, Watergate, like Solomon, for example, Mm. got big there. Um, Marco Resman, mm. you know, got big there. Heidi, Teeny. So, yeah, I mean, that place is an institution within itself. Um, and then you have uh, my personal favorite that I like to take people to is actually this place called um, <clears throat> Golden Gate. And it is like the grungiest, nastiest little hole in the wall you've ever been. But the music is good and like, like the entire atmosphere is like there's like you know how people say like oh you know the club and like i like to go to spots with like they don't focus on like vip and the aesthetic yeah this is like the extreme opposite of that 
Mm. I mean, you walk in, they have like the beer cases for the bar, like stacked up in the corner for like the empty cases. It smells like like rotten beer in there. Yeah. Like you know, the 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 you walk into the dance floor. <clears throat> it's a tiny dance floor, maybe only like twice the size of this room we're in right now. You go upstairs, there's like a bathroom. It's like a unisex bathroom. The toilets flood all the time. The toilets will like literally like there's like a like a layer of like water like on the floor. On the floor. There. <laughs> oh my god. And then that rolls down the stairs. The ceilings are so low that when it gets hot in there, like people sweat can see it like goes up on the ceiling and like drops back down again. Oh Jesus. my god. Sweat <laughs> stalactites. <laughs> it's like a frat house damn near. Dude, it is wild. But that's and, the charm. Exactly. Because yeah. it's like, nobody, you could go in there and like dress as a fucking banana and like nobody would give a shit. You like, know? Nice. Like, what's up? Yeah. Like, I mean, yeah. You're going to be hot. <laughs> like, like, it's just, uh, yeah, it's like no bare bones. You're there for the music. Like, you can take whatever you want. Everybody's on something. You know, everybody's minding their own business. They're on their own space. They're only there to dance and like listen to the music. And that's typically the spot that... <clears throat> when I have friends that come to Berlin for the first time, that's kind of like where I take them to break them in. It's like, mm. you know, we're not going to Watergate. You're going, you're going here. We're going straight to the deep end. <laughs> yeah. 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 And then you can progress back to, yeah. you know, something you said is just like institution, which I feel like that's more prevalent in Europe. Like where do we have institutions here as much? It doesn't, I don't know. It feels more captured by smart like, bar. The, smart bar is basically big, the only one. In, in, whole, in, in Chicago, the, no, yeah. no, in the whole country. You think? And it, there's like it's a fact. Really? Yeah. I don't. I mean, I love Smart Bar. It's a great. It's a great. It's club. the oldest existing like house music club in the world. Really? Yeah. What about uh, the warehouse or prior warehouse? Well, I mean, the prior warehouse closed in. But it closed. Yeah, in '83. Yeah. So, and then they opened in '83. So. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Let's talk like Smart Bar history a little bit because I don't know that much about it, but I just. I've loved the shows that I've gone to there. Uh, I mean, I don't, so don't quote me on this. I just know that like Joe Shanahan, who's the owner had like, and he owns Metro as well. Mm. Um, had a connection to the warehouse. And I think I saw somewhere that he was like on the sound text or something. And then, you know, uh, when the warehouse closed, they went and opened up smart bar. I know like Joe smooth was also, was one of, like, one of the founders of house music kind of like worked with you know joe to open the place up or did something along those lines talent buying did something that's also where uh was it the blessed madonna kind of came out of mm. uh was it eris drew came out of smart bar alinka now you've got garrett david you know and it's just one of those places where like like if you're playing there you know they they i think they do a good job of nurturing their residents and then like a lot of their residents basically you know go on to do big things around the world Mm. okay yeah i mean i feel like this would be an interesting point to kind of switch to the warehouse and what's going on with that maybe even go into some of the history of the old spot before it closed i mean if you're familiar sure. with it yeah. yeah yeah i mean that is like technically where house music was birthed or like can we say that i mean yeah essentially yep. yeah that's where, where it came from yeah i mean I, I don't know i mean like you you have a heavy role now in the new warehouse mm -hmm. what was it called the warehouse before um it it was but that was like it's like like colloquial name 
uh-huh. the and it <clears throat> it was something it was called um we can maybe look it was it called up it was called like something something studios studio 54 now it, it had Chicago. like a, it had like another like name but then like uh-huh. like the the name for that party night uh became the warehouse gotcha like oh are you going to the warehouse like yeah yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. okay gotcha so that was kind of like how that how that happened yeah mm-hmm. and do we know why it ultimately closed uh there was a number of reasons um one they I think the saint michael's or saint patrick's church around the corner opened up and then um i think there was like an issue with the like the floorboards like the floors need to be reinforced or something like this mm. and then that's why you know whenever, whenever that happened like robert shut that down and then he went down to basically Cermak and michigan avenue and opened up like the first you know music box mm. and that's where like ron hardy you know kind of yeah got mace was telling me a little bit about that so the music <clears throat> box not the one on southport that plays movies yeah <laughs> this yeah. is a different club yeah so the music box was the second like uh the second venue from robert williams and robert williams kind of was like the guy who was putting on these house venues yeah so robert was original in the warehouse and then yeah. uh you know when they closed he went and like frankie knuckles left an open power plant mm. and then robert went and opened the music box and i believe there was actually like two versions of that even there was one down in like Michigan Avenue, South Michigan Avenue, and there was one that was like underneath, like Lower Michigan, I believe. Mm. And then that's where Ron Hardy, you know, kind of got big from this version. And then from that, like basically right after that point, like everything kind of exploded. And that's when, like, you know, Dave Medusa opened up Medusa's and mm. Smart Bar opened up as well. Medusa's. Isn't Medusa's closing? Yep. It, no, it's been closed. It's and, been closed. And okay. was, I think, Dave, like, uh, like recently passed away oh, as yeah. well. Yeah. Damn. R.I.P. Yep. Wow. So yeah, even just to get a little lay of the land of like some of these original clubs is really interesting because again, I mean, we have cool venues in Chicago, like big ones like Radius and the Salt Shed now. Mm-hmm. But again, like I feel like those are very much captured by like the powers of the music industry. There's like you know literally, I mean? there's literally like one company that owns like 80% of the venues in the city. Yeah, and they've been, like, rebranded, too. Like, before it was, like, React, mm-hmm. like, the mid. Could we call the mid an institution? The uh, mid was, like, definitely... I mean, I, I can't... I have no say in the matter. I was never at the mid. You never went to the mid? I never went to the mid. Like, okay. when I moved here, the mid had closed. Yeah. You know, I know people talk about, like, Crowbar a lot, and then, you know, the mid, but I, I unfortunately never got to experience those. Yeah. I only knew about Crowbar because I know they started opening up a bunch, up a bunch of Crowbars around the world. But yeah, I mean, so like, I guess to bring it back to the institution aspect, like the new warehouse, the warehouse, I'm sure that's the goal. Um, what do you, what do you mean? What like, happens? like, I guess I just want to get into like, what kind of are the goals for the new place and ah, okay. what is like the overall reason for bringing it back? So yeah, um, <clears throat> One of the reasons, I'll start with the reason why, and then we'll talk about, you know, the, the, the goals. Goals, yeah. Uh, essentially, what happened with the warehouse is, and this, this kind of goes back, this story goes back to, like, 2020, uh, during the pandemic, and then during the, like, George Floyd protests. Um, I had actually, like, originally, you know, everything kind of slowed down, and I was like, you know, myself and a bunch of other people, and I was like, wait a second. 
you know, like, uh, like why are there no people of color, like headlining shows in a genre? They cre- it's like going to a hip-hop concert and there's like no black people yeah it's just white it's dudes a, it's, it's just mac miller like <laughs> <laughs> mac miller <laughs> the whole lineup all right also r.i.p to mac miller he was like fucking great but yeah no hate but so but you know what i'm getting at it, it, it would it would, it would yeah. look it would look weird and uh you know it's not that there's like you know it's not even like proportional to like the population you know it's it's like i don't know out of like 30 shows it's like one hmm. you know <laughs> And, um, yeah, I mean, I was actually like working with, uh, like junior Sanchez, Seth Troxler, Kevin Knapp and K Alexi, uh, and Demure. Um, we had like a little, like, you know, group chat and, you know, we were trying to like basically like analyze the problem and what can we do to like within our community and within our, the people that we know to like influence things in a direction that is <clears throat> more sustainable and more inclusive, you know, um, and, you know, I was, you know, we were talking about like, okay, is it like a visibility issue? Is it like a finance issue? Is it, you know, the fact that like, you know, people of color don't see themselves like, you know, represented in this music and that's why they're not making this music and participating in the scene. You know, is it a racial issue? And we we're kind of like going through everything and kind of like, you know, everybody was kind of trying to like basically do something. And I mean, for the most part, like, you know, I was at Demir and Junior Sanchez ended up starting a label called Culture that I've released a lot of this stuff on. And then, you know, um, was it like, uh, like Seth was talking about, uh, like doing like a radio show as well to do some like educational stuff. And that's when he also did this like thing with like Cornell West. And, <clears throat> you know, I think like a lot of these guys, I know, I know this is definitely the case for Seth, but like kind of realize like the more you talk about like racial injustice in the scene, like you get a lot of pushback. Really? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> like people freak out. Like you know, um, and they'll like cancel your shows. They won't want to put you on. They want to work with you. Like, mm. like, like the total opposite of what you would what the scene says they stand for. Like they just like react in a crazy way. Mm. So, um, that was one of the barriers. We, I I kind of noticed that like you know it's like okay well, we have to do something that can basically overcome the gaslighting. You know, how do we, how do we do it in a way where it's not a bunch of like, you know, rich corporate white dudes, like just pick handpicking and tokenizing, you know, which black people they think are acceptable and mm. they can sell, you know, what can we do to kind of give the power back to the community and platform, you know, and platform the right people. And so, yeah, I basically said like, Hey, you know, <laughs> what, what would happen if we just brought back the warehouse? You know, and we'd have enough like backing and in the institution if we get Robert behind it. You know, there's <clears throat> there's nobody that can really kind of like gaslight you or say that your narrative is incorrect, especially when it's coming from you know the communities that were there from the beginning and to get for the get from the get go. And yeah, we knew that this was something that I could get. You know, we can get a lot of money behind. You know, and like get funding for. And I realized that that that's kind of like the element that was really missing is like it's. It's more of like a um, like social economic issue, and it's more of like a you know uh, how do you say this like a, um, like systemic issue. Just, yeah, that's. Then it is like you know I don't know some dude wearing a pointy white hat and saying I just don't want any blackies on my lineups. You know that's 
Right. That's, not, that's not how it is. It's more just that they've been almost conditioned to be like, well, this is what's going to make me money. Yeah. Or so, you know, I, 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 I call this uh, industry brainworms, like is what this is. Like mm. they, they're every, especially now that the economy is the way it is, like people and promoters are like more and more and more risk adverse. Mm-hmm. And this is also what you're kind of seeing within the industry as well. It's like turning into this point where, you know, before you had a good track, right? And you would take this, you take this track. And it's like <laughs> you, you put it on SoundCloud. You know, like that you, would actually work. <laughs> or you put it, you know, you signed it to some label. Let's say like Hot Creations or, um, you know, uh, whatever. Like you signed it to some big label. And then that label, being associated with that label, that would get you bookings. Mm-hmm. Because people were doing, that's where people used to be doing their discovery. So the, the emphasis was on the label itself to promote the artist, promote the music. And basically share their audience with you and grow artists. And now with like the whole social media thing, you know, they realize, well, we can avoid all risk. (laughs) Yeah. Why don't we just wait for these guys to build up their own gigantic following? Right. And then, and then sign them. So the emphasis is no longer on the music. It's, you know, if I sign this guy, will he make a bunch of sales for us? And if I put this person on, is it guaranteed that he's bringing his own crowd with them that will sell tickets? So promoters aren't really promoting anymore. They're just like buying parties. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. Like, cause nah, dude, you got to go out there and like build up your network before we're just going to put money into it. It's kind of like, uh, this has been a theme that's been coming up a lot. Just, it, it, it feels, and it's not just in dance music. It's like in the, in the corporate world as well. Like, you know, yeah, you, you like get, you have to be this startup that like, oh, the numbers look good. Let's put venture capitalist money into it. Yeah, like, kind of yeah, like that. Yeah, that's how. And like, I mean, it's like uh, applying for an entry level position that requires like five years of experience. You know what I mean? <laughs> mm-hmm. It's one of those things. There's, it's like it's like the floor has kind of been taken out of like you know before there was like a ladder that you could climb and you can clearly see like if I do this and do this, this kind of like gets you to this point. Mm-hmm. And now it's like there's a hole. And you need like a jetpack to get yeah. to the top. Like if you want to, do you know what blitz scaling is? It's like this basically like technique. I'm not going to explain this very well, but like where you just pump a lot of money into a company like Uber or something. Mm-hmm. They just pump a lot of money into it. And like they're overall, whatever, like the money that they're, they're in the red. Yeah. But they're yeah. hoping that at one point they can turn that around. Yeah. But this, is, this isn't like, this isn't sustainable. So like you could do the same thing with your own personal brand or whatever. Like you're trying to promote, you could put a lot of money into it, that's, and then that's that's literally what people are doing. Oh, yeah, shit. Oh, careful. Oh, I'm clumsy as yeah. hell. Do you need like a towel or anything? That's why we're a towel. This is why we're all black. Nobody knows. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That's true. <laughs> so also, we can get you more if you want. Oh, I'm good. Okay. Sorry, okay. Probably, probably. Um. So yeah, it's like you could choose to do that but anyway so yeah you were saying that it's like a financial socio-economic issue more so so i guess i'm curious too like funding you said you could get funding for it where does this backing come from is this from like your group of people and connections that you know or is it like reaching out to chicago like so um i used to work in tech and i also used to work for like when i was living in berlin one of the things i was doing besides like djing and doing other stuff is I worked as like an agent for a little while. <clears throat> I told you that I was also like working with other like nightclubs and like helping them build like their businesses up to, you know, have like a, you know, like a business plan and, 
teach them about different markets and how to like pursue certain markets and create like a niche and then, you know, invest within that niche to like kind of grow a brand. I would, I would put this together for venues. And, um, by doing this, I realized that there's like kind of like how the funding options for venues work, whether it's like getting money from liquor brands to have to carry their, their product on the, on the bar or to, can you get social funds, you know, like, uh, from the government or, mm. What do your numbers have to look like before you can get loans? This, that, and the other. How do you attract investors? What kind of investors are actually interested in doing anything uh, in nightlife, given the, was it the volatility of like, you know, like nightlife and nightclubs in general? I mean, there's yeah. like a certain type of investor that invests in, you know, these type of things. And uh, yeah, I mean, I basically just took that knowledge and just kind of like applied it to what we're doing now. And I realized, okay, well, like, well, you know, what investors want to see is they want to see that one there's like a brand or there's like a product that if it got money could you know have success relatively quickly right you know and then for us it's like okay well like the warehouse you know is already kind of like established as a brand that's like worldwide it's a and it's got its own wikipedia page it's got documentaries about it right yeah you know it's very it's like it's, it, it doesn't take much like as far as like marketing to um, you know, to have people recognize what that brand is. So you've already like knocked down that first barrier of, you know, can you, can you prove that this brand has value? Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, then from there it, you know, came down to a lot of, uh, like basically like Excel sheets, making different numbers and like performas and stuff and kind of making things make sense financially and then presenting that to the right people. And then just doing a lot of, you know, talking and, finding out like deals that work for everybody i mean i don't know exactly if you can talk about everything and i can't yeah exactly <laughs> that's, so, why I'm being, that's why i'm being was, a little i'm being a little vague on purpose <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah are there any specific partnerships or things that you can talk about at this point or are we just gonna have to wait to see um i don't think that like some of that stuff i mean is really uh like something that we're ever really gonna like share completely i mean we have like a like a finance guy that works with us he's an economist and uh he's also one of the business owners of the company along Mm. with myself and robert williams and you know he's very very good at like you know like doing like fundraising uh this and the other he kind of knows the entire system as far as uh um you know getting social funding getting you know he's got a bunch of network of like some like rich friends so he can like crowdfund things and he himself is also like independently you know wealthy Mm mm-hmm um, so that's kind of like who we worked with to kind of get the financial stuff. Yeah. Um, we've had some talks with, uh, the city coming up. Um, we've already been talking to the city and the cultural board about like, you know, certain funds mm-hmm. getting help from them. Um, like there's no, <clears throat> that's, that's still kind of like playing out right now, but yeah, they're definitely interested in like working with us in some sort of capacity. Yeah. Um, yeah definitely not trying to like probe here it's just something that i'm very curious about like how you go about doing these things and whole whole lot of shaking hands and talking and selling (laughs) Mm -hmm. i'm like i like literally like have shook more hands and like gave more pitches than than like yeah than a politician or a used car salesman put it that way (laughs) yeah it's like just really i mean at the end of the day it's really selling somebody on like an idea and then having that financially make sense Mm-hmm. Can you um, sell me the idea right now, if that makes sense? I mean, I'm on board. I love like what you guys are doing. I think it's going to help, especially Chicago's culture, quite a bit. Because 
I mean, to your point, um, e- even from me, just as kind of a house music fan, somebody who goes to shows, I've been less and less impressed lately of just who's coming on lineups. It's big names. It's people that you kind of enjoy listening to. I'm going to go see Honey Dijon coming up here in December. I can't wait. But a lot of it does feel like it's just what what you'd call the TikTok techno. So Warehouse is trying to be something different. You know what what does that different look like? Why uh, you know why does why does Chicago need this now? Hmm. Um, you know, so I my thing is is. Uh, I think Chicago has some of the like greatest DJs and producers. Like, and this is coming from Berlin that I've ever seen. You know, you've got guys that are like playing like back deck patio parties, like behind their house, and like they're mixing tracks together. Just, Partios? That actually like, is partios. like a good. I like that. <laughs> yeah. Like a patio party. Yeah, basically. Yeah. Partio. Partios. Partios. I think I just like ran those two words together and invented no, a word, but that's good. I like it. Um, but yeah, no, I mean, like you, you, you see these guys and you're like, you're like, damn, this dude's good. And like, you know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. and I don't know, I'm somebody, you know, where like, I think I'm good. So when I hear like, you know, other people or I hear people, like, I'm very like, you know, if I think it's, you're not, critical. I'm, yeah. I'm not yeah. afraid to say something's objectively bad. If it's objectively bad, I'm not saying that the person's like incapable of being good, but it, it just ain't there right now. And there's like a lot of people that I've heard and it's like too many to name even. Where I was like, yo, like if this per- this person had like, you know, like a platform, this person would like get big. Like they're they're good. You know, and I think that's like you know, something that's like in the culture here in Chicago, you know, I think like, you know, if you look at the way the mayor ran, even like the mayor was like literally running with like, you know, he's doing stuff with like Ron Carroll and a bunch of other people, uh, and like promoting himself as mayor through house music. And I feel like um like Chicago has always been sort of like the, like the the, you know, in German say like Sprungpunkt, like the, the jumping board. Mm. Is that? Yeah, correct? that makes sense. You know, for for a lot of like big social movements and like you know the like the labor unions were started here. Mm. You know, oh, most yeah. of the most of the um, uh, uh, civil rights movements started here. A lot of like you know suffer women suffragists movements got big here, and Chicago has always been that part where the place where like things kind of like pop off. Mm. And, uh, you know, I see this now with like, you know, the, the, the culture basically being, you know, whitewashed to how it is and packaged up all nice to be commodified for the masses, which is great. (laughs) But the, I think what you're leaving behind then is like a lot of people who actually do care about real Chicago house music. They don't want to hear like some cheesy tech house edits. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> they they want to be at a party where people aren't on their phones, you know. They want you that's know, like a whole other issue. But you, yes, I agree. like you know, and so they want to be in places where like the, like the art and the music comes first, and like the theatrics is like an afterthought. Yeah, I feel like an unfortunate thing is like when you guys open, everyone's just gonna be like, "Dude, look where I am! Look at this!" Oh, probably, which, which is, is probably helpful at I, a certain. You point. know, I I've actually thought about this. I was like, oh, should we do like a no phone ban? And this is like something that I'm actually like, like kind of like. That would be cool. Playing around with kind of like the comedy clubs, how they have these like no. Yeah. It's a little bit riskier because a comedian. I mean, at the same time, I don't want to. You know, it's like I think it's a factor of like. I don't want to be like Bearkind. I don't want to be like where we're sticking stickers on people's phones and saying like you can take any pictures of anything that's going on in here. Like it's too crazy for the the world to experience. Mm. And cra- I don't think they're. Our goal is to be more instead of like exclusive, like being 
rapidly inclusive, like they're doing the opposite. And I think the only caveat is, is when you're being inclusive that you got to make sure that you're creating like a safe space for that original like crowd. I think what a lot of people do, they, yeah. they put the, they put these little posters up like, you know, racial discrimination, this, this, and the other is not like in, uh, allowed or tolerated in a club whatsoever. And you know, have some like dude that's like walking around in there with like a MAGA hat on or some shit like this. Not, not like literally, but like, you know, it's like, okay, well, like, like it's not actually doing anything. You're, you're, you're not actually even cultivating a crowd that is tolerant. There is you, you, a lot of venues don't really stand for anything. They're just kind of like, everything's very, you know, it's like very, we, we can't kick him out until he like breaks a rule. I right? Mean, yeah, like, or and, like, and that's how they, they, they just don't They're They, they, I get it. You know, times are tough and you got to like take every dollar you can get. And that's why people, you know, have, they've, they've packaged house music up in this way to make it where, you know, they can get people through the door. They can only focus on like selling tickets and they don't want to turn or offend anybody because they they have this idea of like house music being a place for everybody in all ideologies. But I think the problem with that, it's kind of like a fallacy, you know, it's like, okay, well, if you're being tolerant of intolerance, are you really being tolerant? Mm-hmm. And I think, saying, yeah. you know, and so I think it's one of those things where if you are very outwardly expressive of like what you stand for, where you stand, what, what community means to you, what this space means to you, I, th- I think those people just aren't going to come to begin with. And I think you're going to get a lot of people who maybe don't feel safe or don't feel welcome at these venues that they're going to come on over, you know? And I think that's something that like, like smart bar has actually done like really, really well. Like they don't. Like, you know, <laughs> they don't let the, they don't let the douchebags in. Like, you know, mm. you can, you can tell who's like, like a dick. It's not, it's not the bouncers actually at smart bar are pretty fierce. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you, can, you know, yeah. I, you know, you, you kind of, you know, you have to, if you're working on a door like that, you, you kind of have to, you know, give you, this, give this allure that like, don't fuck with me. You know? <laughs> yeah. 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 So, I mean, I guess that's actually an interesting conversation about being a bouncer and like, how you used to be a bouncer let's get into that really Uh-oh. quick because like i mean there's a couple qu- first question we'll stay on the warehouse is like is there any type of curation or attitude that you want the bouncers to have have you thought about that yeah um this is something that i i, I feel about like all door staff i think that all door staff should be uh firm but polite mm-hmm. like you don't have to i don't think it's, uh, I mean, you got, sometimes you have this, like, you know, in, in Bearkind, this is one of my turnoffs is like, you don't have to be arrogant. You, you can, you can tell somebody like, Hey, you know, uh, like for example, I'll, I'll tell you right now, like at, at the warehouse, like, like one of the things that I think is like, we're definitely not going to do any like dudes rolling up. Like they just like left a business meeting. I'm like, I'm, you know, I'm going to be like, okay. <laughs> so business casual, yeah, business, like, go, like... Go, go home, put some sneakers on, come back. Like you're here to dance. Yeah. You know? But I'm not going to say like, you know, oh, well, you know, because you showed up in a button up shirt that you're never allowed to back in. Like, <laughs> that's yeah. like equally ridiculous because you, you're just like judging somebody before you got to get to know them. But yeah. mm-hmm. at the same time, I, you know, I do want to make sure that like the, the dance floor and the venue himself is like, I want to break down those like class barriers. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and so if you can kind of like avoid um, like excessive displays of wealth, like in the venue. I think it makes it easier for people within the venue to feel comfortable with one another and kind of like, you know, get to know one another. Mm. Because to me, that's what these spaces are about. Anyways, it's about breaking down barriers, meeting new people, 
but the objective is to move society in a progressive direction, not to have some sort of acceptance for some maggot chad who like thinks discriminating against like, you know, Latinos or gay people somehow. Oh, just like, just my opinion, man. It's like, well, <laughs> your opinion is, uh, <laughs> I mean, I feel like of hate. So, <laughs> and I feel like after a certain amount of time, like, you know, like the people that go to this club will have a certain amount of pride for it. And if like that attitude, if someone comes in rolling with that attitude, it's like, bro, you're not going to stay here long. Like people are going to call you out. So, I mean, hopefully that's something you can cultivate. Yeah. You know, and like I said, like, you know, I don't want to, um, I don't want people, these kind of, even, even these people, you know, it's like, I, I rather they like educate themselves and change their mind and Mm -hmm. like start becoming more tolerant of people. But I mean, I don't want to like, you know, put people in a situation where they have to be around like because that's, that's what this i mean that's what the warehouse was from its inception was about you know the disco demolition happened that was yeah <laughs> let's call that what it is it was a like a homophobic For and people ra- that and racial don't attack. Know, <laughs> though it was i forget the exact characters and whatnot but it was um some radio one, guy, a, a right? dj yeah. like yeah. a radio dj he was what basically happened? He, he was basically like pissed off that you know he was a rock DJ, and he was pissed off that uh, disco was <clears throat> taking over the airwaves, and it was kind of, you know, he felt entitled to better time slots and this, that, and the other. And so they organized this, like, disco demolition day at Kaminsky Park where, mm-hmm. you know, they basically invited, you know, people to come in and bring their, you know, their disco records, and they were going to blow them up. It was like a double yeah. header. Yeah. So they were going to, like, blow them up in between the two, like, the, the, the game. And you know, obviously, this is crazy. Like, how did they green light that? This was was literally like the owner's son who, like, Uh oh, okay. Well, (laughs) there's a little bit of nepotism going on. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I wonder. I mean, like, yeah, it's like a. I feel like this is like green lighting a like a Michael Bay film. You know what I mean? Like, (laughs) who who let you do this? (laughs) And yeah, yeah, so that's what happened. But you know, let's let's uh, you know everybody knows about the you know, racial historical context of Bridgeport and what Bridgeport used to be back in those days. So, I mean, you do, uh, like a anti-disco party, a lot of, you know, in, in, in Kaminsky park in Bridgeport, you're going to attract a lot of uh red hat energy and that's what showed up. And it turned into, uh, you know, not just like blowing up disco records because they simply like subjectively weren't into disco music. It's because like, you know, they were, you know, like they didn't like gay people and they, mm-hmm. they, the idea of disco music represented something that politically felt, they felt like they couldn't identify with. And, you know, that's kind of where this like rock music is white music kind of thing started happening as well. Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah, I mean, it was nothing short of like a race riot. I mean, like Vince Lawrence, right. one of the Chicago OGs was working as like an usher there and even said like, you know, he was like scared for his life. <laughs> Yeah, that sounds like a terrifying... I've seen footage and yeah. stuff, and it's like, jeez. So, from this, you know, um, that's when uh, they opened the warehouse to basically provide a safe space for these people. And it was actually, like, Mayor Daly that actually, like, helped them, uh, oddly enough, uh, open this place up. Robert had worked with, like, the government, you know, to create a safe space. And so, that's all, always what it was. It was always about, you know, acceptance and you know, moving society forward through, through, you know, allowing everybody in, but everybody in that is tolerant of one another and creating tolerance and breaking down those barriers. So that's what I think is going to be like 
healthy for you guys is you are creating a venue where going into it you already know what you're trying to curate and i feel like places when you're opening up gen generally you kind of know what you're trying to do we're going to be you know top of the line bottle service kind of club or we're going to be kind of you know 20 bucks at the door not going to be the nicest in the but you, you guys are really focused on the um, inclusion side of it and making sure that it's a safe space because yeah like that was that's the overarching theme you hear in documentaries about house music was mm -hmm. it started as with uh, black people and mm -hmm. with gay people and it really was just a, a big kind of um Oh, I'm, I don't, I don't know how to describe it, but almost like you know, a counterculture kind of thing in a yeah, way. I always say that like house music was punk rock as fuck. Yeah, <laughs> that, that's and that's basically same thing with techno. Like it was also a counterculture movement. Mm -hmm. You know, um, if you think about it, like there's a quote from Frankie Knuckles actually, and he says like disco or house music was disco's revenge. You know, they took disco from us. Well, watch this. We're gonna take these disco records and we're gonna chop them up and you know, uh, sample them and then put this like four, four drum machine on and include new technology and innovate in a way that, you know, you thought you could push us out. Well, watch, we'll just re-innovate and we'll make something new, you know? And, and, and in a way it was kind of like a gigantic, like middle finger to the system. Mm -hmm. And so to me, I don't know, that's like, that's punk rock. You know? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so, yeah. 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 You know, and even back then, like the hip hop, same thing with hip hop, like, you know, had the same literally hip hop and, and house music actually have the they started at the same time and have the exact same origin. Mm. I mean, actually, the only difference between hip hop and house music is besides the like the four four you know like drum format is the section of the track that they sample. Mm. So within a disco track, you're going to get like the the groove, the rolling groove section of it, and with hip hop, it was the break. Oh yeah. Mm -hmm. So they just like you know sampled different you know they gravitated towards different parts of like you know like sampling. Yeah. And that's kind of what made, you know, uh, like breaks and hip hop. Right. Yeah. Versus four on the floor. <clears throat> exactly. Yeah. That's interesting. I didn't realize that there was time wise, timeline wise, like the same. Exact. Literally the exact same time for the exact same reasons. And we, we heard mm -hmm. this at the panel that you spoke at last week too. Um, hip hop took off uh, in way more into the mainstream than um, house music did for, um, I think what she was saying was like, because it was uh, was it like interesting lyrics, right? About like gang banging and things like that. I mean, how do you feel about that? I I didn't really. I was not so, nearly alive at that point. So, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, if you listen to like you know the old um, like hip hop stuff from like the like if you listen to stuff from the eighties, like the Run DMC and Grandmaster Flash, and a lot of that's like b boy music. Yeah, and yeah. so from b boy music it kind of became like hip hop and that's when you had like, you know, the, the Wu Tangs, the tribes, you know, kind of like, uh, was it the, like the MF dooms kind of came out of this, like, you know, mentality as well. And that was like lyricism that we're going to, we're going to, we're going to speak truth to power. We're going to talk about socioeconomic issues. We're going to talk about what's going on in the streets. We're going to talk about, you know, what's happening. And then from there, you know, I know a lot of people, like a lot of people know this, like, like, uh, you know, like Wu-Tang and like Tribe and all these guys, when they first started off, like they weren't really making a lot of money, like Nas, all these dudes. And it wasn't until like the mid nineties with like the West coast stuff. And that's one of the reasons why Biggie went over to the, the West coast, because there's this like, that's where all the big labels were. And that's where the money was, you know, they started getting into it and ended up putting a lot of money into it. 
and once what she was referring to in the thing was the major labels basically wanted they put a lot of money behind gangster rap basically so you had like a lot of like gang members and stuff like this that were you know individual guys in the gang were you know and you still see this now with like drill music and stuff yeah you'll have like a guy in the gang that can rap and then they'll like literally take some of the money that they're making from you know pushing drugs or doing whatever they're doing putting behind this guy you know help him get his records going this that and the other and that's when you know the majors basically saw like okay well this this is an opportunity for us to make money you know yeah and then there's the whole east versus west coast thing which just like feel like war people make money during war times that, like that, that was that that was also uh fueled by the the uh the music industry mm-hmm. if you go and look at like the stories between like you know biggie and tupac for example like like death row was like literally like pitting them against each other yeah intentionally because you know he wanted he good hype exactly so it's like it's like it's like selling a boxing match basically Mm -hmm. you know and uh you know that obviously turned like real deadly (laughs) once you start taking gangs from one group and telling them they hate the other group and then now like the second these guys say each other you know that you know that's how the shooting started yeah yeah for sure well, I mean, yeah, there's a lot of deep history with this stuff, which is good. I'm glad we get into it on this because I, I know a lot of it, but then you bring in certain points that I'm like, mm, okay, I didn't, there's, there's a, a lot of there unspoken know. history about Chicago and house music where, I mean, I, people I talk to, even producers these days didn't know that it really came from here. I mean, our circle generally does, but yeah, we um, hang out with cool people. Yeah. We, <laughs> yeah what's up but no but like a lot of people like don't know especially um people who aren't really initiated into dance music they kind of just hear what they hear from friends and whatever don't really know that there's a lot of history behind it and And, and this this is one of the things where like i'm i'm super happy that like electronic music is at the peak where it's at right now because it means like everybody can get paid we can do things in a sustainable way that benefit artists and can benefit the scene overall um, but the problem is, is like, uh, especially like post pandemic is there's like a lot of new people have come in. Their only understanding of this music is like what they're seeing on TikTok and yeah, Instagram like, videos. And, and literally all of that is like faked or like, what is the pro like, how do you make a house track? You know what I mean? Without understanding kind of the origins of it. Like you can figure out how to make a house track in like 10 minutes. You know what I mean? Yeah. 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 So it's not, it's not too, too terribly difficult. Yeah, or like how to make a tech house track. Like mm-hmm. that's what they're DJing. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah. I mean, I think what it is is people now they the discovery kind of works like this. They they see the stuff on like social media, mm-hmm. and they're like, oh wow, this is hot. Like you know, people are really into this. And then they from that they obviously get interested in certain percentage of those people who see it. Then want to like obviously do it themselves or start going to the shows and participating. And they think it's just like club music, dance music. And I think one of the biggest things that the industry has like done that's kind of like screwed things up is the fact that they don't want to talk about the, you know, the origins of how this stuff came along. Because again, it's like so political when you add politics to things, it like is divisive and it pushes people away. Mm-hmm. So they're intentionally for financial gain, dumbing things down, <laughs> removing any existence of any sort of, you know uh like political movement or counterculture from 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 the from the music completely to turn it into like this like like celebrity culture yeah i mean that's something yeah i was curious what you think like if you're a producer 
do you feel like it should be kind of mandatory to do your research and get that origin story? Like, can you live in a vacuum and not care about that and still add to the scene? Like, if you make really good house music and you don't know anything about the origin, like, does that, you know what I mean? Because it's kind of, when I, let's just, like me, I came into electronic music because I was listening to like UKF on YouTube. Didn't know anything about the culture and now have learned a lot about it. But that was the the point that I had to get into it. So I'm kind of thankful that, I mean, it's a little different with dubstep and like drum and bass, but what do you think of that? That if you just solely produced in like a vacuum and didn't know any of the history? I mean, you you can't know until you learn. Mm-hmm. So I don't like to me, anybody who's coming into the genre and is interested in the music, I'm here for it. Yeah. Um, what I think is what the way I view m- what we're doing is at least trying to like, you know, put enough information out there that it's ac- accessible so that there is a, at least an informed consumer. Where the, yeah. They, and also I was talking about people producing. So that's like a totally different but, and, love. And, but, but I mean, it's like the same thing, even for the producers, you know, like people, there's no, there's no test you have to take to buy Ableton. And <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. And that <laughs> would be, that'd be a bad society. We, we don't want that. Yeah, exa- exactly. I want to make it as easy as possible, actually, for people to get into production and this, that, and the other. Yeah. But I think, uh, I think it's the duty of like the venues to ones like, like storytell a little bit better. Mm, explain yeah. you know where the music comes from or when they book a certain artist what what have they done and i think there's a way to i think there's a way to promote shows and promote artists in a way that doesn't just require like showing 15 second videos with a packed room with everybody having their hands up mm-hmm. i mean because if you think about mm-hmm. it like <clears throat> you know any like let's say you take somebody's like boiler room clip or a circle or whatever whatever clip they're using to to like sell it like all you're selling people is dopamine at that point like oh look so many people love this this is gonna be a wild show but Shit. nobody's really talking about that's a big aha moment actually like <laughs> i never thought about it that way but you kind of are right you're like here's why you come to this party look at all these people having fun exactly well and like, then they'll also use clips from ex- like circle whatever boiler room to promote the dj that's going to be at this different venue and it's like well that's a completely different context too. yeah exactly you know and that's you know that's like i said that's that's all fine and dandy and it's it's great like you know show them that this person's established and they're playing these circles and these boiler rooms and all that kind of stuff but i think at the same time there should be more communication and marketing around what has this person done who have they worked with and why is that significant mm-hmm. you know and I, I would say most artists anyways are going to like eventually stumble onto like the origins of the music, where it all came from this and the other. I don't really know too many like DJs and producers that don't know. The, what <laughs> yeah, the like, is. I have no idea. Well, I mean, okay. Yeah. I, that, I've met yeah, a few, yeah, yeah. but it's like, it, this is like actually the minority. Mm-hmm. So I don't, I don't really think that's necessarily like uh, for the artist side of things, like an issue. Yeah, I would agree. I feel like they're, it's only natural to be like, wait, where did this come from? Why am I doing this? Like, if you didn't, there would be such a disconnect almost in like your wiring. Yeah. <laughs> You're like, well, I don't even care. I mean, yeah, those people exist too. The, uh, you know, <clears throat> I just like, oh, this makes money. Let's, let's, let's do this. Fuck everything else kind of thing. But, mm-hmm. you know, the, the, uh, I like to call those like the entertainers. Yeah. But the, yeah, I mean, I think it's one of those things where, um, 
you know, if you think about it, like nothing happens in a vacuum. There's a reason why we've gotten to this place we're at right now within the scene that has everybody so disgruntled and wanting more. And you really see this from like a lot of venues and a lot of promoters. Like they now they're like, okay, well, you know, the kids want this and they're into this stuff. So how do we like market it? But then they'll like, they don't really kind of like know how, because they don't like a lot of these guys don't come from, they don't have that like cultural frame of reference. Mm -hmm. So it just kind of like, you know, I made the joke, you know, about a certain, you know, big uh, festival in Chicago I was making the joke that there's like more, you know, uh, people of color and gay people on and like the marketing than there is like on the lineups. You know, it's like, it's like they know that they have to educate. They know that this is where it comes from, but then it kind of comes off as like, they're, you're just trying to like commodify that again. Like they don't, they don't know any better. Like they only know what they know. It's like, okay, well, how can we do this and make this like profit us instead of like, well, why don't you just start doing it <laughs> mm. you know it's it's uh it's 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 weird and i feel like a lot of it gets lost too because that music is still like even if it's being looked over it there's still genuine good music in there you of know course, what i mean yeah. like i would say probably half the people on said festival lineup like i could probably take it or leave it there were only a couple of people that i was like oh fuck and it comes down to personal preference but yeah i mean the bummer is just and I get it. It's a business. You have to sell tickets. But when that starts driving the reasons for what you're doing to, you know, book and push the culture forward and then claim that you're doing good things for it. It's yeah, it's yeah, it's inauthentic, you know, yeah. and uh, you no know, pressure to that, you know, in, in their defense, it's what they're doing is also not easy, you know. Mm -hmm. it's yeah, there's things like things that need to be cut out or whatever. Yeah. You know, they, they are also um, operating within the constraints of a capitalistic society. Math is still math. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for sure. And they're going big with it. A yes, festival, yes. three-day festival. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, I, I, I the main reason why I'm, I'm critical, so hypercritical of them is because of the fact that, you know, like they are so big, you know. Yeah, it's and there's, there's, there's a lot I of think power the, there. And with power comes like, you know, let's do the Peter Parker analogy. With great power <laughs> comes great responsibility. And the whole like power corrupts absolutely type of thing where it's like you got a little too much power and now you're not doing the right thing. And that's that's more of an issue with monopolies. Yeah. Because, you know, once you the problem with like the insomniacs and the live nations is they're not really even entertainment companies anymore. They're like real estate companies. There's not even a nucleus, you know what no, I mean? It's, it's just it's, like, it, oh, we can all make money somehow, just do this random task. Well, what they what they do is the business model for them is to actually just like own all the real estate and own all the market share. Yeah. And when you own all the market share and you're spending millions of dollars with one agency, it also like creates like a conflict of interest and like a like an integrity issue among like even agencies because I don't know if you know this, like booking agents work largely on commission. And so, I don't know, when you got some big promoter and like what's typically, even though Chicago's like populous, like a small market who's, you know, lining your pockets and keeping your artist book and keeping you in good standing, you're most likely going to defend your like breadwinner. Mm -hmm. And then for people like us to come along and say like, well, we're doing something different, but we'd still like to book your artist. You kind of, you kind of have to approach it in a different way for, because like, they're going to be like, okay, well, why, why am I going to potentially ruin my relationship with a person that's giving me 15,000 plus dollars in commission fees a month. I've never made so much money in my life. 
to go with you and then maybe lose out on like booking more talent then you're never going to be booking as much talent as like promoter xyz Hmm. you know so are there going to be like some battles then you you (laughs) expect like are you expecting some like real challenges here to what you guys are doing um i'm sure they'll probably run interference but i mean i like i don't want to like sound cocky but like i'm like 20 steps ahead of this dude okay so (laughs) like uh i the we're we're honestly competing for a market that like he doesn't even know it was aware exists Mm. so yeah i feel like this is the biggest power that you have and it is the curation ability to curate like your bouncer or curate who you bring into the venue to play like that is the biggest thing as long as you don't like basically what would like you could go the the dark route and just be like what's gonna make us the most money and then that would fuck it up but you know it doesn't sound like you have a vested interest in that at least at the moment i mean literally like uh when you know speaking of like that when when i started working with some of our investors period one of the hardest parts was finding investors that we're willing to stick to those guidelines yeah that we're not gonna you know take buyout money or that we're not gonna chase the easy money that we're not gonna sell out and it's like because it's like really if you think about it if you do sell out like you'll just be a flash in the pan you'll be the same as everybody else you'll be doing the exact same as everything else now you're competing for the same artist as promoter xyz and they will then run interference because now you're literally fucking with their money yeah you know so I think it's best to just kind of like stay in our own lane and do our own thing. Yeah. <clears throat> and then build that. And I think that's like, it's more sustainable. I think the, if you focus more on like the, this is one of the things I learned in Berlin and that a lot of people in the States don't do. It's if you, as a venue or a promoter focus on your brand, the warehouse or your party or your concept and you make th- you, you always want to make sure that like your brand is bigger than even the biggest artist you're putting on that. Let's say even if we book a honey Dijon, well, you're, you know, that well, honey Dijon playing at the warehouse is now something more interesting. You know that you're going to get something else that it's not just a concert where she's going to play for X amount of, you know, whatever, because of like everything that the brand that we've built around it, this, that, and the other and the venue, that's why you want to be there. Honey being there is the cherry on top. Mm-hmm. You know, I would like to get to the point where, you know, like, I don't have to even announce who's playing and people come. You show up and it's just a Derek Carter night all night or something or whatever. Yeah, yeah, whatever. Yeah. 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 You know, it's like, uh, you know, creating enough trust with people that, you know, that like every time you that they know when they come to your venue, that it's going to be good all the time Mm -hmm. that they know that you've dotted all your I's and crossed all your T's and you've done all the digging you know, because I want to get to the point where I can introduce people they've never heard of people that have maybe 20 social media followers, but this guy's like a freak, you know? Yeah. And, uh, yeah. And be able to like use that platform to, I don't know, create like a little bit of like a meritocracy where the people who are objectively good or are artists or very unique that they can shine. Mm -hmm. Have you thought specifically about like actually, telling people and like just straight to their face like this is the history or do you think the education comes through just like this is a sick place and now i want to know more about it or do you think there'll be a little bit of both so we're actually working with uh like ron trent and uh a couple other people on like some kind of like cultural stuff as well 
I think that's like one of the other like important things. I mean, part of the, I'll tell you this, like in the, in the, in the building that we're looking at, uh, there's, there's, there's more than enough space for a venue plus other things within inside the venue. And one of the things that we want to do is also put the Chicago house music museum like inside. Oh yeah. This, yeah, this, yeah. Yeah. This, yeah. This yeah. Venue. I actually heard about that. So the, I think through a combination of having, you know, a curated museum that people can attend, attend doing workshops, you know, um, yeah. doing community events. And then also just like, you know, putting stuff up on TikTok, you know, about like, you know, making little TikToks about, uh, like the history and the highlight of certain artists and what their contributions were. And, you know, like why, you know, when you hear like this, for example, this like rolling Tom, this like boom, 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 boom. That, that, you know, I can say to people, okay, well that, that's actually like the West Chicago sound. That's mm. the dance mania sound. That's the guys that like Slugo and DJ Dion, mm. they came up with this pattern and that's not, now you can hear this, like not just here. Oh, I would you, love that. You can hear that, you know, that influence, you know, this artist is doing it and this artist is doing it and this is where this comes from. That's awesome. 808, Ghetto House, you, you know, know, 909, it was secondhand stores and like, yeah. you know, just, oh, that's awesome. Yeah. That's that would, awesome. That'd be really cool. I think it would also mean a lot more coming from the warehouse. Like if we made those videos, it'd be like, what the, what is this? I hope so. <laughs> I mean, I mean, we're going to put it out there and you know, I hope, I hope the, I can, I can only hope for good reception. So, yeah. And I mean, I feel like good education can come from anywhere. Like if we put together a really good video, did our research, <clears throat> but I think there is this added element that you guys, you know, coming from the warehouse. So, That'd be really cool. I'm I'm excited to see that. I need a little bit of an education. As and much as you know, like I'm, there's always I'm, new things. To yeah, learn. I'm still learning, like all the yeah. time. You know, yeah. like people tell me, and I work I work really <clears throat> close with like Junior Sanchez, and I'm, he's one of my like mentors. And I do the NR for his label, like Brobot, and talking to Junior and you know, talking to like OGs, like when I was talking to you know, hanging out with Dion and Paul Johnson, and talking to Robert now and Ron Trent. Like I'm learning stuff nonstop. You yeah. Know, so. I'm sure there's some great stories. Yeah, yeah, there's definitely some funny stories. Yeah. What's, oh, sorry, go no, ahead. No, yeah, what were you saying? I was going to ask, what's what's like the most impactful thing that you've learned from these from these guys? I mean... These mentors. Yeah, whether it's production-related or culture-related or, you know, you learned how to create the best possible groove or I don't know. Like, what, you got to use what this you, NPC yeah. swing or exactly. something. Exactly. Pan, pan your uh, toms, you know? Like, yeah. yeah. I don't know. What, what have you... Uh, picked up on uh honestly uh for me it's just kind of like understanding their stories like okay so what how did they get in the music what was going on when that was like that like while they were getting into music and you know how did this all start and kind of hearing you know which groups of were working with like who and who mm -hmm. like for example like um i was you know like i'm like friends with like kalexi and you know, Kalex, he's also like one of the second wave kind of founders of like house music. And, you know, Kay was telling me stories about how like they lived in the same building and like the down in like Hyde Park with like Marshall Jefferson and like Paul Johnson, mm. you know, and he was telling me about how like, you know, uh, he used to have to like, since he was like, the younger guy, like he had to like compete for like studio space. So, you know, they would get in there and do all their stuff and he had to learn how to get in, you know, do things real, real quick, you know, so we had to like, you know, develop like the ideas in his head because 
since he was low man on the totem pole, he didn't get the same amount of studio time as like the other guys did. And it's not like it is today where you just have a bedroom studio. Yeah, no, <laughs> no, yeah. no. <laughs> thank God we, we have this stuff now. I know it's, it's amazing. Imagine how hot it used to be in those rooms. Oh my God. <laughs> yeah. And just like, you're just like, we got like how many, five minutes. Oh my God. All right. We got to record now. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's wild. Um, Let's go into, you know, we've had like an extensive talk. I mean, that this is really the main thing that I wanted to focus on because this is something that we've seen, like save the warehouse. Like that was a thing for a while because they were potentially going to, uh, you know, take down the building. Mm-hmm. Um, that had nothing to do with me, by the way. Just like FYI. Mm. S- saving it? Yeah, that was like, I that, that popped up on my radar and I was like, oh, yeah, cool. Everybody's like hitting my damn's like, oh, are you, are you pertinent? Like, no, I like had no idea this was even going on. Oh, damn. Oddly enough, I kind of like learned a little bit about the story. There was a guy who works for the city and he works in like the planning department. And then he saw that they were trying to like, you know, like tear the warehouse down. And he tipped off, I think, the, the Frankie's Knuckles Foundation, which is like Rob McKay, Joe Shanahan from Smart Bar mm. and a couple other people. And then these these guys got together and put their political weight behind the situation and, uh, you know, got that passed. Oh, good. Yeah. No, uh, I, I didn't know. I mean but that was the thing that cued me into the fact that that was a possibility of it coming back and all that stuff um but yeah so i'm glad that we went through that yeah that was um, that was that was literally like a a pure coincidence like that mm -hmm. that they did this and i I was like i saw like everybody sharing it and i was like hell yeah this is making yeah let's go this this makes my job just that much easier too yeah no it it really got passed around yeah i was like thank you for informing everybody about the history so i don't don't have to do it so yeah that seriously did um but i was gonna say like maybe we can talk a little bit about it's called brobot yes so maybe we could talk a little bit about that sure um how it started like what is it for the people uh, so Brobot is Junior Sanchez's uh, imprint, and I think he's had it since like their like early two thousands. It's had periods where it's been busier and he slow, slows down a little bit. And it was during this time when you know the whole BLM stuff was going on, and I was talking like Seth Junior and all this kind of stuff that like Junior was like, "Oh, you seem really passionate about stuff. You want to do things, you know? Why don't you come in and work as like an A and R, and you know you can." use this as a way to like platform people that you think are deserving of like releases. And so the whole, um, idea behind Brobot is to like strictly just focus on good music. So, you know, it's, it's very like a, uh, I mean, for example, we don't even like a lot of labels. If you send in like a demo, you know, they'll like listen to it and then like they're going to they check your socials. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, is, you know, how many mm-hmm. <laughs> how many followers and this and another does he have? And, you know, is he even cool enough to they, be on a label? They do the swipe through. Yeah. Or they have, like, the more sophisticated things we learned about. Uh, what was it called? Oh, it, I don't remember what it was called, but... um, It, it like, scraped all the data on mm, your profile, yeah, all yeah. your social media. So it's just like, are they hot or not? You By know? the way, this is, this is one of the things... Uh, I have to bring this up because I think he deserves this, like... One of the things that I've always respected about Jamie Jones. I don't know if you know this. To this day, Jamie Jones does all of his own a mm, Really? If you, if you send, I like, literally, if you send Jamie something and he, like, you know, rec- like, sometimes it takes a while. You know what I mean? You got to, like, send him a couple things or you, you have to be kind of, like, introed to him through somebody. 
but once you make it through that filter, I mean, he will like check it out himself. He'll write you an email. He's like, Hey Casey. Yeah. Blah, blah, blah. Looking at some tunes right now. Like give me about two weeks and I'll get back to you. And like on the dot two weeks later, Jamie write you back. Nice. Mm. You know, Hey, I'm going to pass on this for now, but like, keep it going or Hey, you know, could you send us like a B side to this? Like, I think this could be something. And like, Jamie's very like, uh, you know, he's very, for as big as he's gotten, he always, he, he, he still determines what goes on his label. And yeah. Jamie's never gave and give, give, like, he's, he's never like gave a shit about like how big you are, how, how big you aren't. Like, you know, there's, there's quite a few that do this, you know, some of the other, uh, like labels, um, you know, they, they do this other stuff where they, they look at your socials and they look at all that kind of stuff because what they're thinking is, okay, well, if we sign your music and invest money in you, is there like a trajectory for you to grow with us? And do you even have like the it factor to be a big artist? And I think that kind of like, again, ignores like all the different like social economic things that like hinder people, especially when you think about it, like one of the biggest flaws with music right now is the fact that like every, every process that they use to like determine whether or not you're like a big artist or not, every step can be faked now. And it yeah. is. So you oh, yeah. want to, you want to have more followers on your social media thing. You hire a PR company, you pay a PR company, $10,000. They will go to mix mag and DJ mag and use their relationships to get you constant press and all this kind of stuff and help you. They'll go to like, you know, these, a lot of these like uh, Instagram pages, like Techno Airlines and this and the other, these are actually like PR like like sites. No yes. shit. So like all like Club Techno or like uh, all the yes. That's 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 like largely pay to play. Oh shit. Yeah. Really. Yeah. Like even the fun like Techno. I forget which one. I, it, I mean, uh, I I can't speak for every, every single, single one of them, yeah, but yeah. I know I know quite a few of them that like if you hit them up. I mean, try it. Like, hit them up, and they'll be like, "Yeah, blah blah. blah. We charge yeah. this amount." And oh yeah, no, I've gotten some messages from people where it's like tiered charging, yeah. and I'm just like, okay, yeah. I thought I mm. thought we could just like collab." And, and <laughs> yeah, and so like, what PR companies have learned is they know exactly like from these, which ones are the biggest ones that if you put your stuff on there and they link you, then it'll create an, enough traffic, like traffic to your website. And then, you know, once you've got enough traffic, like pointing back towards your Instagram, this is like basically like SEO principles, right? Then you're going to like rank higher within like the Google, the, the, the Instagram algorithm, mm -hmm. the same thing with like TikTok. The real pain in the ass is the fact that now Spotify is using this exact same algorithm. Mm -hmm. So what Spotify does before they determine whether or not they're going to playlist a lot of your music or how much attention they give you or how much like of a, like on off of the faucet they give you is they will actually go out and read all your data and every they they have like a ranking it's like a popularity ranking and i can show it to you later on my i have like a spotify for artists thing yeah yeah and this will show you like what your artist popularity is and that determines like okay how many people are playing uh your stuff on soundcloud how many people are how many plays do you have on this how many people how many how much press is talking about you on the internet like how much this what are you are you do people even like you and the thing is that entire metric is it can be faked oh yeah easy i mean what about things like uh i forget what it's called but you just like pay money to pitch to playlists or just to get on yeah, them yeah. there's a bunch of different websites yeah, yeah. but i mean yeah it does seem like everything at every step of the way 
is pay to play now. Yeah, it's ridiculous. And so it's like, uh, yeah. like how are you really <clears throat> giving the people? And this is why I always say like this kind of like mindset is like screwing over the fans too. Mm-hmm. Because how are you really? If you're rich, you can make your mark very easily. Exactly. And how? Are, yeah. But like, but the people who are rich and can afford to do this are like a very, 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 very small part of society. Mm. And so, you know, this doesn't represent, you know, the guy who maybe lives on the West side and has like a drum machine and has Ableton. And this guy makes crazy sick beats and some new shit you've never even heard in your entire life that like, whenever he plays it, like people go crazy, you know, it it basically like, it it creates a system where it's like, everything's kind of like just like mid at best. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then now we're kind of getting into this way where like a lot of these like big name, you know, guys like Skrillex and Fred again and all this kind of stuff. Like, I mean, dude, like Fred again, like, (laughs) yeah, is literally royalty. Like he's like, he cannot do anything wrong. You know, there's so much hype behind him. And it's like, uh, daddy Skrill put him up. Yeah. I mean, (laughs) you know, uh, it's, it's like that, that, that track rumble is like, like literally as far as like rhythm tracks are concerned, like, is the most mid shit I've ever heard in my life. <laughs> I don't even think it's really like rhythm. I would it's say. Just, I think it goes off personally. I think it's a banger. There's like some Skrillex production in there that he's a great producer. You don't find in other places, but that's just my defense. <laughs> I mean, yeah, they're 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 drawing from like a lot of like that early '90s UK like rhythm like stuff. Yeah, it's it's very throwback, and you're seeing the same thing with like the billion like 90s hip-hop edits that you're hearing mm-hmm. it's like man if i hear like one more like tlc or like wu-tang edit i'm gonna kill somebody you know what i mean like <laughs> like tech yeah. house edit or yeah exactly yeah. and it's, it's Dude, like i i can't tell you i've i've even heard from like bigger artists that you'll see on like you know some kind of higher tiered slots on festivals put in so little work into the edit too they literally just chop the chorus yeah throw it in like la la or something and then just like <laughs> that's it that yeah and they, and they call it a day and they're like okay great can't use that one anymore what's next and they it's like what, what they're <laughs> what, no what, creativity in that what, what they're looking for yeah. is they're looking for something that like when people hear it they instantaneously <laughs> recognize it and kind of like can see along like, to it bounce with it drop yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah which actually that was probably one of the earlier ones which was like oh this is cool but then it gets played out a million but that's that's the way things are like they don't reward like what people do it's very like monkey see monkey do nobody's actually trying to say like oh well i'm gonna do something different and i'm gonna be the trendsetter that everybody's gonna like hop on everybody's yeah they're they're going for that like safe space of Mm -hmm. like what is what is everybody doing what do people want what's trending right now and then you're just kind of like chasing trends and then when you're chasing trends i mean nowadays like trends chase train change so fast like you're not really like how can you actually get like you know like pro, like you know efficient at like making like a certain sound when every three months you're, you're like having to like hop on a new bandwagon yeah and then on top of that you're making <clears> this track <throat> then you got to go sign this track and then you've got to wait three six months for this track to come out you know and it's like okay well by the time that stuff comes out well, now you you know you've already kind of like missed the wave yeah and there's so many interesting topics to talk about on this i like want to just keep going into it but i do want to kind of go back to what led us down this which is that you were kind of playing a and r and being able to choose the dude that has 20 followers that's making the craziest shit and you can platform form them quote unquote like so going back to 
Robeat. Robot. Robot. Yeah. I knew I was going to fuck it up. That's why I said, <laughs> um, you know, like, have you, are there people that you have signed or signed, whatever, like release their music that you're like, hell yeah, I'm glad we did that. Even though, and also like, how's their career going now? Uh, yeah. I mean, there's, there's quite a few. I mean, I can think of like, uh, Teddy Wong is one, uh, heist, um, this guy named like, uh, not enough soul. He's a dude from like, uh, the DC area. Um, each one of them kind of like, you know, like they're, they were, you know, great producers, great DJs. And like, I heard their music and, you know, it fit like that robot sound, which is largely like, kind of like this, like sample house jacking disco kind of sound. Mm-hmm. and uh yeah like those those people have you know after we signed them they've like gone on to like release multiple times on like hot creations and get have bigger releases and wow and some of these guys like literally like are now touring so that's crazy yeah that's awesome do you still do it yeah i'm the still the, I'm, I'm still the i'm still the nr yeah or one of them there's three of us gotcha yeah so if someone how do people send in tracks um sometimes they'll just like end up um there's like a guy named Alejandro Bustamante. He, um, uh, what, what's Alejandro's like artist name? Oh, Jesus, bad. <laughs> it's okay. It's uh, on the um, spot. Currents is, is his DJ name. And, uh, so sometimes like people will send stuff to his, like, you know, the robot account. And then Hondro will send it to like myself and like Blackwell. And then we will talk about it. And then it's kind of like a voting thing, like a year and a amongst ourselves. Yeah. Um, sometimes like I do some like, kind of like, you know, I have some like ear to the ear to the, you know, streets kind of thing where like, I see somebody posting some tracks on Instagram or whatever. And I, I hit them up and I'm like, yo, like your shit's good. And like, you know, would you like to, do you have like two tracks you could do as a A side and B side that you'd like to sign to a robot, mm-hmm. you know? So, or I've got people that I know through like like my network or people like people's music that I've played that I know like they're signing only on like smaller labels and like, I'll hit them up or get a hold of them and be like, yo, can you send me a, you know, three tracks that I can send to the NR team that we can, you know, put something of yours out. I'd love to put something out of yours. Yeah. That's awesome. How much, I guess I'm just curious on a sense, like for a label, right? Mm-hmm. Robots label. How often is there like a schedule to try to adhere to, or is it like we just try to put out good music? Uh, the, like the shortest turnaround is typically like three months. Mm. So let's say, for example, you guys sent me an EP now, and then tomorrow I sent it in to the guys to, uh, you know, to sign, and they everybody everybody likes it, and then let's say by some grace of God, <laughs> you got your contract within two days. Mm-hmm. It would still take like three to four months from that point to like actually have the release come out because we do have, I think we're doing like two releases a month mm-hmm. and a minimum it's one. So it's, it's quite regular. Is that an effort though to like not dilute too much because like by a release, do you mean like an EP to an album's worth or just like a track? An EP. Mm-hmm. we try to avoid doing singles yeah because I, th- I think like especially with people who are like smaller names it's uh it's nice to give like the audience a little bit more yeah it's like a flash in the pan you're just like oh that was cool yeah exactly so i, w- I want to show people you know i prefer three track eps because then if you know if somebody's doing three tracks and all three tracks are 
like different enough that they you can differentiate them from one another, but they're like good, similar enough to, to all to fit on the label, mm-hmm. you know. And but they're quality enough that like people can say, okay, like the A side was good, the B side was good, and the B two was like good as well. Okay, well, hmm, I would hope that when people see consistency, that they would want to go out and like dig a little more and find more from that artist. Yeah, totally. With with two tracks, you know, that's better than one. <clears throat> um, but for me, one track is kind of like. It's also nice. It's almost like nowadays, like you get one track from Robot, and then if you're listening on Spotify, it just goes straight into this algorithm of shit that it doesn't, it doesn't know. Like, I mean, at least from my experience. So it's kind of nice to just have it in like a package that's like, okay, I'm going to listen to these three songs. I'm Currently, uh, the way the Spotify algorithm actually works, it actually... A lot of people are releasing singles because of this, mm-hmm. because how Spotify works is it's going to want to look at like your overall, like your consistency. Mm-hmm. So like your numbers will go up more, the more you're consistently on a time schedule, releasing music onto Spotify. So it's essentially, it's like, okay, well you're giving us content. We're going to reward you for this. Mm-hmm. The less you do, the less we're going to reward, reward you for, you know? And then the other issue is, is like most like actual house music tracks are, like six seven minutes long right you know like shorter tracks spotify likes the 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 magic number is like three minutes and 15 seconds mm-hmm. so like how can you cram like you know i mean you're literally like cutting it in half so it kind of takes it's like the radio edit yeah exactly so and that you know that's that's uh like i don't know for a while i was like doing radio edits of everything i put out and then i was just like oh, i don't give i don't give a shit anymore spotify <laughs> where it's at though like is that where you really want to pop off the most if you want to like it depends on what you want to do yeah i mean spotify getting big on spotify will definitely get you shows in the usa um in the uk uh but there's other ways to to get big and one of the ones that like for example like a lot of guys are doing now and this is something that garrett david uh, does really well is uh, like focusing on like discogs, which is where like a lot of vinyl sales are. And the good thing about discogs and releasing on vinyl is, let's say for example, you print or you press, uh, let's say, two hundred records for, let's say, two thousand five hundred dollars. Um, and then the, I don't know, let's say the, they're twenty five dollars, whatever a record. You know that when you've sold, you know. Uh, when you've sold all 200 records, your return is going to be X. You know what I mean? So it makes it easier to like reinvest and then like kind of like scale a little bit. Mm, yeah. Opposed to like just putting money into a playlist that just going to do you know, nothing. Like, yeah. Yeah, like you're going to get more follows or views, listens, whatever, but it's like the money you're going to get is not going to be as tangible. You're not going to get any, you're not going to get any money. You're just like, you're literally just like throwing money away and, the only time you're going to make money is when you start hitting those like MK John summit numbers where you're doing, mm-hmm. you know, 200 something thousand plays. But then in order to do 200 something thousand plays, like you, you literally have to, there's like a formula you have to follow at that point. Mm-hmm. And if you're not really following that formula, you're not really going to get the same. You're not going to hit those numbers, which means you're not going to make any money. So it's kind of like, to me, it's one of those things where it's like, I don't really focus so much on Spotify because it's kind of like, what's the point? Like, I <laughs> got to diversify your assets <laughs> in the music industry. We were actually just talking about this, that it's like some people, they have like a hundred thousand 
followers on TikTok. And then you go to their SoundCloud and it's like 500 followers. You're Mm -hmm. like, I mean, also SoundCloud's a different thing because it's kind of not in its heyday. Yeah. So maybe people just don't care about that. But it's like weird how you were even saying like, oh, I get way more plays on Apple Music than Spotify. Why is that? I don't know. But it's just like the diversification. I'm sure going and chasing all that money is a huge pain in the ass. So Spotify is more for the people who are more like the reason why Spotify is a big metric is there's a direct correlation to big Spotify numbers and actual fans that go out and buy tickets to shows. Hmm. Right. They also have like connection, like the, uh, I forget what the app is called, but yeah, there's can, one that, yeah, it'll tell you if someone's in town. Exactly. And Spotify, Spotify itself will do this too yeah, as well. You can load Spotify. your tour dates and stuff on there. Yeah. And so there's that. And then on top of that, like, so that's like its own community. The people who like, you know, let's say buy music off of like, uh, like discogs, those are typically going to be your people that are like into vinyl. They have records at home. They have a record player at home. Those are people who are a little more committed to like the listening of music or playing of music there. And they're like, uh, probably 95% of them are DJs. Mm -hmm. Then you have like, you know, what is it? Uh, Beatport, which is like where I kind of focus a lot and I do quite well. And that is, you know, again, like, you know, building your audience over Beatport within like the certain categories and Beatport has everything, has a bit more range as far as like what kind of, um, to me, Beatport's like the, a, a happy medium between Discogs and in between Spotify. Mm-hmm. So I think like probably a majority of the people that get the music on Beatport, like they're either win- within like their, that one, two, three years of like DJing themselves, they're probably largely bedroom DJs or they're DJs who are just now starting to play in clubs. And something you do have obviously people who are DJs that like are like big professional DJs, but it's, it's a lot more accessible to download a digital file, you know, put it on a USB stick and take it to a venue where they have CDJs that you can play it on mm-hmm. or buying a controller or playing something over like tractor or like, what is it? Uh, Serato on your laptop. And like working and, and like practicing the the art of DJing, so most of those people like still buy music and then like also go and buy tickets. So it used to be, prior to Spotify, that your career was made like you get, if you if you did really really well on Beatport, that did the exact same thing for you as like getting big on Spotify, and that's why, then, like the individual labels had more power. Like the the labels themselves had fan bases. Nowadays, like, you know, before if you released on like say Dirty Bird a couple times and you released or on Hot Creations or you released on Defected or something, that would like be like, oh wow, they're on Defected, so that Defected's this, and I associate Defected with this level of value. This person must be good. I'm going to those shows. Mm-hmm. Is you it know, not still like that? No, less so. Uh, less so. Interesting. Yeah. Now, well, now it's and that's why. Now you know and. This this has a plus and a minus. The good thing is is now it doesn't really matter what label you're releasing on. You can literally an artist can make their own label, put their own music out, mm. and if you've got money to invest in Spotify marketing, this that and the other, you can blow your own stuff up because people now are caring more about. They're discovering their music more now through like the Spotify algorithms than they are over individual labels. Mm. Also, just went on like defected SoundCloud the other day. There's so many releases. Yeah. I mean, they've been around for a long time, but they got a bunch of different labels too. It's not just like defected. They've got defected. 
Then I got like the DFTD imprint. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then like classic, and then the DFTD's got some good shit. Yeah, that's it's more like the club focused stuff. Yeah, but yeah, I mean, I feel like there's almost this like nightclub factor where it's like you know your nightclub's been around for so long. It's like there's so much in there that I mean, I'm saying like the the nightclubs that will be around for like four years and then change their name oh, yeah, that yeah, that yeah. effect yeah um mm-hmm. yeah anyway that's that is interesting so it's not you don't think it's as valuable you think you could just do your own label you could yeah i think i think that's one of the good things about like modern technology i mean one of the things you can also do is i mean you, you don't even have to even like put your music on spotify if you don't want to and still be successful Bandcamp, i've band, heard is band, exact, great for people exactly yeah is uh brobot gonna do uh any presses are you guys gonna press some vinyls or i don't know uh well ask ask junior it'd be pretty cool <laughs> I, I, I mean it'd, it'd be it'd be nice i, I wish... just got technics so that's why i'm like vinyl like yeah got vinyl I, I wish we would i wish we would it's just like uh the thing is is like the the distribution system uh for wax is i mean first of all it's like you get a plan a lot more so let's say, for example, you want to put something out on vinyl. Okay, well, now you got to find a press that wants to take you on. Because most of them are actually at their, like, maximum, like, you know, they can't even take new customers in. Oh, really? Uh, yeah, it's, like, <laughs> it's in a super high demand. There's literally, like, more demand than there are, like, presses available. Like, <laughs> it's it's literally, like, like you know, like, like you know, like, crack dealers, like, sell, like, hey, I got, I got something for you. I got, a little, I got the good stuff. I got the hookup. <laughs> Like that's how it is with like DJs and like <laughs> and and finding like a new vinyl plant. It's like there's like some backroom talk. Hey, you know, I, I know a guy who just bought some uh, some pressers that he can he can make his vinyl and make 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 vinyl for you. He, you know, he's he's got a good price. You know, he does this this and this. And it's like ah, okay, cool. Shh, don't tell anybody. <laughs> you know, <laughs> interesting. I feel like this is probably just like I don't even know if this is worth talking about, but just like the uh, environmental aspect that some people could come down on you like, it's not good for the environment. Streaming's better. So I don't know who's crunched the numbers exactly. I'm like, correct though. I, I don't know. I mean, I you got to think farms. like, yeah, yeah exactly. That's, yeah, that's exactly. exactly what I was thinking is a gigantic warehouse of servers. Like, I don't know. I mean, I guess it just, just kinda, heard I, that. I guess it kind of just depends on how you do it. I mean, you know, obviously I think with, um, vinyl there definitely could be room for improvement like you know maybe you can have more like recyclable vinyls but a lot of times like there there are people that do do this like they'll like remelt and reprint other <laughs> vinyls yeah oh, but the, man. then that normally sounds horrible like <laughs> yeah like the, the melting it down yeah the quality just isn't quite there um i think with uh like a higher demand for like once it gets bigger and bigger you know, I think people are going to find more sustainable ways to do records. But then again, there's like a lot more factors to this. Like, are you shipping, are you pressing yeah, 5,000 yeah. records and, and like air shipping them across the whole world? Or are you doing a limited batch of 200 and picking it up in your car and then like hmm. taking it to one record store? Sure. Yeah. So the, you know, economic footprint is obviously then like much smaller, but yeah. I mean that's that's kind of like a gaslight, especially when you. Know I mean, it's that, a like, yeah, it's like ridiculous. That's why it was like Dutch Shell is like responsible for ninety percent of like the world's pollution. I, I don't think uh, vinyl the, presses. Your are the- vinyl press <laughs> is going to be the worst thing. Yeah, yeah, no, I know it's it's a ridiculous thing, but some of these things stick for some reason. Like I remember hearing this thing about how almond milk uses way more yeah. water. Yeah, and I'm just like, well, fuck. I mean, I'm trying not to drink normal milk, and it's like. 
who's this on like yeah. the consumer the people making it also how are they sh- it's just there's actually there's so this, a this is a little side tangent like when it comes to like this whole like green myth yeah a lot of this like green spending stuff when it comes to uh you know the idea that you as an individual can make a change yeah you know this was actually like invented as a marketing tool by the oil lobby oh dude we no we're about to go deep like we got to call up my dad because he will go in i get it i I work for a food packaging company and anything you think you're getting that's green is it's not no 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 promise you unveiling the curtain there's just so much there's no there's yeah there's no there's no quality control there's no okay like I can put like, um, what is it, uh, like no GMOs or BO or whatever on my on mm-hmm. my package, and then have like another set of like eggs or whatever that's like the exact same thing. It just like just doesn't have that like. It's all marketing. It's all marketing. You're right, and we get sucked into it. That's why like I literally <laughs> when when I was talking about the vinyl like you know green aspect, I was like, oh, I don't even know. If I should bring this up because it's so ridiculous at a certain point, like. I've seen so many scams like that. The paper straws. Yeah, the straws. I mean, dude, electric cars. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's like, we, yeah, anyway, we're not going to go down that rabbit hole. Um, <laughs> I just don't want to become like, this is the podcast for producers, not the podcast for like, let's talk polluters. about green. Yeah, oh, polluters. There we go. That's, nice. yeah. <laughs> I think we should all take like communal buses to every party, you know? Oh, yeah. Should be one That'd of the cool. one of the green buses. We should all would, go together, you know. I'm like, uh, dude, I have this concept. I'm don't think I've talked about this on the podcast, but it's like we gotta live in like a Dr. Seuss style city. Like we gotta have like bridges that just go over stuff. So like you can just be on your bike mm-hmm. or rollerblades or whatever. We call this Amsterdam, by the way. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but you know Chicago, they're not like we need a second tier where everyone can just bike and use their vehicles that are not cars so it's safer. You can get a workout in and whatever. And then you'll have some like dude from like Schomburg who's like you can't make me back into the town. I want to drive my Ford F-150 you know? <laughs> on the eight lane highway. Yeah. Just, we need more of those. Or the people that are like on the bike lane with their like electric bike, which yeah, isn't yeah. regulated and it's going like 45. You're like, bro, dude, dude you're going to kill something. Them and scooters are the bane of my existence. Like, <laughs> yeah. Like you ever like drive like downtown or in like West Loop during like rush hour. Like it's, it's like, it's literally like playing Frogger, but in real life and you might like get arrested. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I, I saw this video of this dude going like 50 on the highway on a scooter. I was like that. And the guy was like, this guy's going crazy. Yeah. Like, I was just Those like, dudes yeah. are nuts, Those one wheels too, dude. Yeah. Those oh, my God. Rip it, yeah. dude. I, mean, yeah. I can't even imagine. What if you, you just hit a, a Chicago pothole? <laughs> it's like a bathtub in the street and you're just <laughs> fucked. Like, I'm, I don't I'm know. literally the kind of guy that like when I walk out like at night in Chicago, like I would I would look both ways at the 2 a.m. on a one way street. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, I do. Sure. I do not trust the drivers here. <laughs> oh, no. Last last thing I'm doing is getting on a one wheel or a scooter in this traffic. Hell no, dude. It's weird, too. Like I used to bike everywhere. And now that I just drive, it's like I just look at other people driving and everyone's looking at their phone. Yeah. Like we're in this weird midpoint where we shouldn't really be driving because technology has just completely captured our attention, but we don't have driverless cars. <laughs> so we're just like, uh oh, this guy's texting. They're like, my, my favorite is watching like CPD like do the same thing. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Dude, it's, it's literally everyone. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's kind of freaky. So anyway, we're. <laughs> 
we could talk about other stuff. There was some other stuff I wanted to touch on, and we, I don't know, we're in a weird place with playing music on the show because it's just like on YouTube, it can't exist unless you specifically allow people to use copyrighted music. Anyway, I mean, do you have a time crunch? Or are you? No, no, no. no. I was okay. just like, I got like a, I got phone calls. So I just like hung up on them bitches. Oh, oh, to the watch. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Um, this, let me this, just, this is the like ADD controller right here. That's what this is. Oh yeah. <laughs> oh dude, that I, would give me worse ADD. It feels not like. survive with I, it. Yeah. My, I have to say, for me, like my screen time has gone down considerably since I bought. Uh, you know, I'm not like trying to like sell Apple watches here, but like, <laughs> it, for for our ADD brethren out there who are looking for ways to uh, minimize their screen time and be more productive. Why so? Because I have thought the exact opposite where I would just feel it like I'd be like, oh, here we go again. Like, I'm just going to check back in because I'll get some like alert on my thing and it'll like show up on my watch and I can like look and see whether or not it's like something I even need to respond to right now versus if your phone like lights up somewhere where you have to like open and it then I up open and it. And then when it's open, then I got like on Instagram. Yeah, like, and what? Then, <laughs> yeah exactly. And Interesting. I'm, yeah. And then yeah. I like cat videos and then now I have to like share that with people and mm-hmm. now they're writing me back and it's it's dark out now (laughs) Uh that's true i i've thought about it because i like the the health metric stuff that that would be nice no it's it's dope i like it a lot okay okay i've I've gotten like addicted to uh actually like like closing my rings on the on the app like when people call you no 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 no. like so there's like the the like on the fitness app there's like these little rings and stuff like the activity monitors Oh yeah, and so I oh, got fill it up. Yeah, yeah. And this, this is like my like, and you get like little trophies for if you. Uh, oh, it's game of yeah, exactly. This is like like I said, this is the perfect thing for like ADD people. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So are the do you set like is it like steps like you have like a certain amount of yeah. steps you yeah. need to complete in a day? I ha- basically it's like uh, thirty minutes of like uh, this might be like TMI, but like 30, 30 minutes of like a uh, like exercising activity, and then I think a thousand calories through activity. My standing time is like way too high. It's like twelve hours. Like mm. that. That's that's a little high. I need to change that. And then uh, what's the other one? There's like a, a third one as another another ring. I forget what it is. Maybe like screen time or something. That's probably oh s- steps as well. Steps, yeah. yeah. And then yeah, I typically I don't know. Like I I think if I do like ten thousand, twelve thousand steps a day, that closes pretty much everything. Oh yeah. Yeah. Because that just kind of like is a like you're burning calories yeah i know i know i know that like uh like i don't know like that's one of the things i actually like really really liked about living in europe according to here is i I love the fact that i I could like i didn't need a car Mm -hmm. like i Mm -hmm. absolutely (laughs) i love cars and i hate them at the same time like for me it's like i like cars when i'm like i can take them and you know it's convenient to have one to like let's say you're doing like big grocery shopping or something like this but like i don't know like in berlin like my house is literally like right around the corner from two like grocery stores. I have to like go downstairs. It's like a five minute walk to the other one and like a seven minute walk to the other one. And like literally just going to the grocery store and back, I know it's like 2000 steps walking to the subway line is like a thousand steps. Mm. So just like the amount of like activity that you do just by like being alive and like participating in society. Yeah. Is like way higher than here. What do they call it? Those like blue zones have you heard of that where it's like people that live it's got the most like centarians where they've lived to be like a hundred and basically it's kind of that where everything that you have to do throughout the day 
is movement like you got to go down to the whatever it's just like a bunch of walking and moving yeah. your body i mean and then their diets are like yeah and well like there's less like preser- preservatives and stuff in yeah the food. Like, that like, too. Yeah, like one of the things that always happens is uh whenever i'm in europe for like an extended period of time and i come back to the states like i feel like the like i'm not getting the same i can eat way more like american food and i'm like i'm just never getting full <laughs> oh yeah and then you like realize it just doesn't even have like, the same level of nutrients in it and that's why you're never feeling like satiated you know so <laughs> oh, man yeah that f- first-hand experience do you feel like the water is different too like are we <laughs> i don't i watch this thing about the water it's does we don't have <laughs> minerals bro it's uh it's different so like uh depends where you are i mean yeah yeah yeah. for yeah, example yeah. like the, talking about germany. The, the water in germany water in germany for the most part is pretty good not, not the shit on France and Spain, but I don't drink their tap water. Like, <laughs> I, I, I mean, I, pl- I played, I played rugby in France, and then I was like, "Is it okay if I use the tap water?" And like our coach was like, "Ah, don't do that." You'd just be like, "Here's a bottle of water." So, do you speak fluent German? I speak fluent German and like conversational Danish. Oh, really? Are there a lot of Danish people in Germany? No. So, my family's from like the northern, like the north border area of Germany. So. Like when I I went to like school up there and you, you just you literally just pick it up uh, like Danish TV and then like radio would bleed over. Mm-hmm. Um, also, like the dialect that's spoken up there is like literally like a mixture of like German and Danish. So mm. it's kind of it's it sounds impressive when I say I like oh I speak German and Danish and English, but it's like when you realize that like the difference between the two is like if you speak Italian and then you like learn Spanish. You know? <laughs> Mm. you just like learn to add like an a to the end of everything instead of an o (laughs) Mm. i learned a new language (laughs) yeah that is real i think like 60 percent of danish is pretty much like german just the pronunciation is like way different so you just gotta get used to that that was the biggest hurdle yeah for sure i have a couple things that i want to go over but just right here like have you traveled a lot yeah to other what's like do you have a is germany your favorite I mean, Germany is like home, uh, but I, I definitely have like plenty of like critiques about Germany. So I, don't, I mean, sure. I don't know. Like for me, it's like, uh, like I like being there because I know what I'm getting. And then I have like a friend's base and stuff like this there. So that's like, you know, it's like feels more comfortable. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, there's like a, a lot of places that I've been where it's like really, really sick. Like I mean, I like really like Barcelona as well. Uh, like London's dope. It's just like stupid expensive. Mm um this is partially because i'm going to europe and i'm like where do i go france is nice so i've been to i've been to denmark the uk ireland luxembourg netherlands belgium france spain uh was it like italy Italy, uh serbia um was it hungary czech republic poland and then uh yeah have you gigged in a lot of these places? That's kind of, yeah. That's why. Yeah. yeah. I figured. Because I was checking out your social media. I was like, this guy's been to a lot of places. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or at least it seems so. Yeah. I mean, that's that's one of the things that I always found, like, really, like, kind of, like, uh, like, different within the scenes between, like, Europe and, like, uh, like the States. And I, it's always, like, it always used to, like, really piss me off, too. Because, like, you know, I, I, I can, like, literally hit up venues in South America and Europe and just get, like, booked like this. You know what I mean? Like, I've you know, you send them your, 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 your press kit and you've got like your little like resume, like what you've all done and this and the other. And they're like, Oh yeah. Okay. That's, that's dope. Like, you know, and you've got like a fan base. Like when I play in Europe, a lot of times was it like last May I played 12 shows through Europe, something like this. And then 
I think like 80% of the shows I was like doing opening open to close sets mm. and like sold the place out. And then it's like here, I'll like reach out to, you know, some venue somewhere in the States and they'd be like, Hey, you know, like I'd love to come play for you guys. And they're like, ah, oh, nobody knows who you are. <laughs> mm. And I'm like, uh, <laughs> like a video that proves otherwise. <laughs> you know? Yeah. That's it's a just, big it, culture difference between here and Europe. I mean, yeah, they, I mean, they, they dig a bit more, um, here, there. Oh, but that has a lot to do with the fact that one, there's not the same sort of like stigma or being viewed as like, what is it like? Uh, a commodity. No, 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 no. It's not, it's not that like, okay. Like it, people start drinking alcohol, at like 16 years of age. There's not this sort of like negative hmm. connotation with like consuming alcohol or going to a nightclub. That's just considered like what people do. Like when I, when I live in Zerbrooking, for example, Zerbrooking is a, has like a population of 170,000 people. There were 10 clubs that do electronic music. Like, yeah. you know, there's just like it when in that like tiny little, tiny little place, there was like so many different venues that you can get booked for. And then if you drive 45 minutes down the road, you're in another town that has like eight more venues. So they just need way more artists. There's a lot more of like these smaller, you know, up and coming mid spots that can book basically people that are like from beginners to like mid level. And then you had like these massive venues that book those big, massive headliners. And there's an, Basically, everybody kind of had like their own space and um, people would come to those places because they knew about a certain venue having a certain reputation for a certain sound and a certain level of curation. And so once again, it was the venue that drives people there. And then like you just kind of fit in part of like the venues, you know, like programming. Mm -hmm. Whereas in here, you know, you've got like, you know, clubs that will book somebody from like solid grooves and then turn around and book somebody from like Anjuna deep and then turn around and book somebody from like drum code. And it's like, dude, none of, none, no, none of that even makes any sense. <laughs> oh, that makes, uh, yeah. That's you know, interesting. So the, the clubs out there, it sounds like to what you're trying to do is like, um, curate more of like, okay, when you go to this club, you kind of know what to expect. Exactly. I mean, it'll be a little yeah. different, but yeah. like, it's not like you're going to not, throwing any shots here but it's not like you're going to sound bar and one night is trance the next night is dubstep and then next weekend they're doing techno and house and it's like yeah yeah the venue the venues themselves have like marketed themselves in a way that they have their own kind of like built-in crowds mm-hmm. and when you have your own built-in crowds because you've invested in your own your own brand and your own brand identity it makes it easier to open up the space to booking new talent because the people are going to come regardless it also helps yeah, you negotiate yeah it also helps you negotiate like more reasonable fees for artists as well because if you don't need to spend five thousand dollars to like sell your venue out you know to book some like big name you know tech house guy um and you can spend 800 bucks okay well you've paid a dj like a good fee eight hundred dollars in one night's not bad you know what i mean i mean these kind of guys like you know i mean they'll play like you know 10 shows a month make eight thousand dollars like you're you're like that's eight, a pretty good life. Eight, yeah, you you're definitely living off of your music, you mm-hmm. know. Yeah. So it's just different. Like people here, yeah. you know, like what the clubs start at like 21, mm-hmm. and then most people who go to you know like nightclubs in the states, like the the typical age span is like outside of like cities like Chicago, Detroit, New York. You know, they go out at like 21. They go out while they're in college. 
then by the time they're 25 26 27 you already hear this like oh i'm too old to go to the clubs anymore like and I'm like, right. Dude, shut up you're 27 years old <laughs> I, you're too old to like do blow Dude, until even... like 4 a.m and yeah. drink a bottle and yeah. i think yeah. it would be different if the club experience was not as like yeah like you gotta buy a bottle and like you got and like all yeah, I don't know. It's just not, like not a fun experience going a, to a club as not a, a single cl- like like outside of like Pasha, like not a single electronic music club in Germany or in Europe in general does bottle service. Mm-hmm. Wow, they, they like literally they don't want it. That's like for like the mainstream clubs and the the pop clubs and like the hip hop clubs, you know, because the entire thing is there doesn't make any sense. They're not again like. It's that comes down like down like a classism thing, like exclusivity. Ex- exactly. So you're not really being accepted and like opening up new people and bringing people in when you've got somebody like roped off in a VIP area that because they have bad finance do bad financial planning that they somehow <laughs> get a they get their own. I am the king of this corner. You know, <laughs> do do not trespass in my realm or I will have this big dude bash you to a smithereens. You know? Yeah, yeah. It's honestly like going the other way. <laughs> it's it, it's like again it's it's more sustainable so it, but it has a lot to do with the fact that like people when they like the vegas model for like nightclubs in, in the united states has been the one that kind of like reigns supreme you know mm-hmm. you have to have like you know the bottle service this that and the other and like you know clubs when they do their performance and they're like you know opening a venue and they're taking out loans they're they're like they're building this into their business plan and they're building this into their financial structure so what happens is is like you'll see with yeah. like well, i'll say things like prism for example mm-hmm. okay well prism's now for you know trying to like rebrand to this like serum thing because they realize that the when prism used to do like really really commercial music and then they kind of like started moving more towards like you know like tech house and some more underground music and there wasn't really that like how do you go from like doing like hip hop and like look at me parties and like scene be seen with like the lights up bright, you know, with like this bottle girls coming out in bikinis and like holding up like signs of like somebody, you know, whatever. How do you go from like this? Like a wedgie up their ass. (laughs) (laughs) How do you go from like that to like underground culture and make that pivot where you're still like selling bottles, but then not like turning off like the crowd that like likes this kind of music. So it's like this little tap dance you kind of have to do. And that's why they took, you know, for example, like they took the booths and they moved them off the, off to the side and they, they limited the amount of booths and they had to like kind of readjust some of their stuff to, you know, pivot in a different direction. But if you don't create a concept around this in the first place, you can still make, you can still book the talent you want to book and do it just by like having, you know, focusing on like modest bar sales. Like, you don't, like, you know, you don't want to necessarily focus on like, okay, instead of thinking like $100 per head per person per this, because you've like got this, like this skew from like the, what the profit that you're getting from like the bottle service. If like, let's say you do something more sustainable where, all right, well, let's just focus on maybe trying to get, let's say the average person spends $35, not including entry in our venue. And we've got capacity for a thousand people. Okay, we can basically calculate with $35,000 in revenue a night. Okay, from this $35,000 in revenue, 5,000 has to go towards like, you know, talent or 8,000 goes to talent and another 1,000 goes to support and then like another 500 goes to hotels, this, that, and the other, and then another amount goes to whatever. And at the end, you still still have $10,000 
per night per profit. Mm. So it's not like even with the more sustainable models that you're not like making good money. What it is, is these guys like now have like investors who are expecting like 20% plus returns. Yeah. You know, because you've built like a gotta get a lesso. Like, (laughs) yeah. And so, and like, yeah, nobody, nobody wants to (laughs) live in a sustainable manner. It's like, how much money can I make right now as fast as possible? Instead of like, instead of club owners saying, Hey, you know what? I'm cool with making 120 or 130 K a year from like basically passive income. You know, now they want to like, you know, they don't, they don't, that's not, they don't, they don't want to settle for that. They want, you know, 300, 400, 500,000. They want to maximize profits. Well, you can only maximize profits to a certain point because you've, at the end of the day, like things are finite. So, yeah. and it's it's cool that you guys were able to find those finance people that get that and understand that. I have to imagine that they at some point were really heavily involved in the dance music industry, right? Uh, the person we have, is, no, they're but they are interested, very interested in cultural things. Okay. Oh, yeah. I mean, either way, like, it does hand yeah. in hand. Uh, yeah. For sure. So it's it's one of those things where I mean, the way I kind of explain things is like, look, it's like, uh, do you want to make, you know. You want a business plan where you you pump pump a lot of money to it, turn it into a big brand. You make 500k a year, but then the club, you know, closes down in five years because you've like basically burnt the asset. And now you've got to like close it down, rebrand it, or mm-hmm. you have to like do this sort of scenario that you hope that like somebody bigger is going to come out along and buy you out. I mean, to me, these aren't like uh, these aren't tangible things. There's no guarantee that somebody's going to buy you out for 10 million or 15 million dollars. That's just kind of like a hope. You know, that's not, that's not real. That's not like a, that's a bet because mm. like you're gambling, mm. oh, you know? Yeah. And then, uh, but what you can do, you can make things say, okay, you know what? Like we can do this in a more sustainable manner. We can book talent at like a more affordable rate and we can focus on consistency and we'll make this, we'll, we'll make 120,000 or $150,000 a year, you know, for 30 years and have the club for 30 years, as opposed to going gangbusters for five years yeah no i totally get it. it's like the viral versus you know the long-term approach everything's always a gamble like the True. city of chicago could go bankrupt yeah. who the fuck knows yeah. you know yeah. like there's there's things outside of your control always but yeah i mean i think that the the model that you're talking about is just more sustainable in general. It's going to be know? more fun too. Yeah. It seems it's like be a lot more fun. Yeah. Less, less pressure for yeah. sure. Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay. So we've been going for a while. I just wanted to kind of touch on these two things because, you know, people put things in their bio for a reason. Mm-hmm. And you mentioned uh, culture earlier, just for like a blip of a second. I just wanted to, what is it? What are you doing with it? What's going on? I know this is kind of a hard jump into something. Okay, else. so cu- culture is the other label from uh, Junior Sanchez and Demure, and uh, you know they were kind of like um, the whole project for that was to do <clears throat> do music that's different and do music that that Junior and Demure at that time thought was like objectively good, but wasn't getting picked up by bigger labels, and then that was their way to like break new music that's like quality mm. you know so like so I mean, this is almost like the meta of what robot is or they're different we we culture typically works with bigger artists or the prototype 
I would yeah, yeah. So, well, the robot was their first culture was like a creation that came along literally in like, 20, Oh, after. Yeah. I think the first oh. one was in like 2020 is when it, when they first launched it, mm. but, and they were originally focusing on like larger artists. So, I mean like, um, like I think, was it like, like, uh, like Kevin Knapp's released there, Junior Sanchez released there, Demir's released there. I mean, it's in dance. have had a release on culture. Um, and it was kind of like the way of grabbing, <clears throat> from how I understood it, it was they wanted to grab some of these bigger name guys and get them to do like culturally focused and like real, mm-hmm. like artistic style music, yeah. and then provide them a platform for it. And uh, I mean, yeah, it, it worked for a while and it's still kind of going on. Um, but the issue is, is like again, like uh, I feel like with the when, once the pandemic went down and the steam started started bouncing back like people were like didn't really have the bandwidth to like like focus on these kind of things they just kind of went back to what they thought works yeah and a lot of that is like you know their management's behind them pushing them it's like no you got to do more of these you need more of these you need more of these mm-hmm. and then plus like having like some of these guys have like crazy tour schedules like i mean like i mean i know guys like jamie and you know i mean just dancing these dudes like they will literally like will sit down on the slow seasons and then just like crank out like six months worth of tracks and like a month period Mm. you know in like december or january where they're not touring as much you yeah. know so you don't really they don't really have that flexibility um to basically stop and then react the same way that let's say like smaller artists like have or people who aren't touring as much because they're just they're just that much busier oh yeah for sure um okay so that's something that is something you support and work with have you released on i have uh Three releases on culture so okay. my, my first one was with uh a collaboration with kevin knapp mm. and then the other one was uh the close my close your eyes ep that i did and then the third one was actually like i did an ep with uh robert owens who's was also one of like the godfathers of house music he's a vocalist was one of the members of like fingers incorporated with like larry hurd and stuff and goes back to like the fact when i was a kid i had <laughs> that was one of the first like house music like you know tapes that i had mm. They're gonna say you had like the Larry Heard coloring book. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, damn, that goes. No, I don't, I don't know if Larry we had this guy Cofresi on, and he was talking I about how yeah. that Cofresi was a pirate in Puerto Rico, and he had the Cofresi coloring book. I was like, damn, what? So I thought it was about to turn into one of those situations. No, maybe, uh, <laughs> yeah. So I, I, I had like a, a release with Robert Owens, and then plus I had like um. Uh, like several other like as i had like the collab with robert and then i had three more like tracks that i put out that i made during the pandemic that i i put this ep together because i basically wanted to show like okay like this this is this is what like i can do when i'm trying to when i have time to like really really focus on music and mm-hmm. you know make things this is the, the quality of music when i'm only focusing on stuff that i want to make this is what i can do yeah and so we actually tried to like shop that all all around uh we were talking to like cutting heads for a while which like martinez brothers label and that was like a whole like <laughs> that was a whole thing and then um yeah we tried to talk to defected but then like defected like just like wasn't getting back to us on things and i was like you know you know what like fuck it like let's just put it on culture and then i end up getting like uh remixes from uh like roy davis jr and then joy smooth k alexi and junior sanchez you know and i just basically wanted to do an ep that like I thought was dope and then I want to work with people that I thought were dope and 
actually like doing things i want to do like a kind of like an all killers no fillers kind of thing yeah was that that one that i was looking was that it's like gray or no it's like, a, was... it's like a brown like beige kind of okay yeah i wish we could play some of this stuff at this point in the episode it's way too <laughs> too late it's like it wouldn't even make sense and we're also dealing with just copyright shit so definitely go check that out um okay cool so let's just cover the last thing and then we got a little wrap-up question shake shop records uh what, so what do we got going on there shake shop was my imprint um when we first was first talking about like uh doing this stuff again like when with the you know the junior and all this kind of stuff i wanted to like basically have my own parties and event series and you know i i, I kind of have this like what i like to call like a shaky sound which is like i i uh i have lots of like mid-level percussions in my tracks and i really i use these i use my mid-level percussions that make kind of like jazzy elements out of things and i like i like mid-level percussions because i can add like a lot of i like to call this like shoulder roll music and kind of keeping the pocket just like this hmm. you know so i figured like if you move if you put a lot of movement in like the mid it's like nice like groovy music that you can like kind of like keep people like kind of like locked into mm -hmm. um and from this kind of like you know ideology of or of like the way i approach making music myself that's how i came up with uh like shake shop and we actually did like our launch party initially with like uh, Moody Man and Eddie Folks. Um, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. I mean, I didn't go Which, to the show, but, but I saw the flyer. I yeah, was like, that's, that's cool. That was our like our launch, our initial one. Uh, well, that's a, that's another story, man. That is that was a nightmare and a half to do that show. Really? <laughs> oh man, that is. Uh, we were doing this like, and P DJ Pierre had like a space, and down on this like spot over in Ogden, and then it was like it was supposed to be like an art studio. But apparently, like, Pierre didn't, like, clear things up with, like, the owner or there was, like, some misunderstandings and there was, like, things weren't properly insured. And this guy was, like, kind of like a slumlord and he had, like, people, like, who were, and I'm not, like, making fun of them at all or, like, I don't want this to be perceived this way. But there were people who were, like, really, really, really mentally ill mm. that were artists that were, like, living in this space without, like, running water and bathrooms and they were, like... Ooh. They were, like, sculptors and painters This is, and stuff. like, one of those warehouses where, like, people are, like... Like, you could make some really cool art in there or it's just, like, a den. Yeah, like, like, I mean, put this way. Like, there was a guy who proceeded to tell us that, like, there was, like... Because we were too loud, he couldn't sleep and, like, our... He... Because we're dumping trash, like, this, like... He's, like, oh, because you're putting, like, you know... uh, What is it? Um like liquor and stuff like this in the, in the, in, in this trash can. And this is attracting more bugs and keep in mind, like the, the trash cans were like outside and a good, like 250 yards downstairs through like five doors. Mm, there were, he was worried about bugs. And so he was saying, he was like, he, was like he, he, he came to me one time, like freaking out. And he was like, he goes, I, f I fucking had it with you guys. You need to stop doing this. Blah, 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 blah. Like, my 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 room is infested and i've been i can't sleep and i've got like and he, he like clearly had like schizophrenia paranoid schizophrenia or something like he was you know yeah. what whatever we were doing was disturbing him in a way that was affecting making his mental health issues worse mm. and like i said like the owner there was like just a complete scumbag um we you know like for example the owner's like nephew like came and like to stop us from doing stuff in that space like broke a key off in our door like the day of that party i had to like hire a locksmith to come in to, like pull this like key, this broken off key out of the oh door 
And, you know, he was, like, threatening to, like, call the cops on us all the time, even though we had, like, all the permits and everything. We needed to do everything. And, you know, and I was like, dude, like, I, at one point I straight up told him, I was like, you call the cops on me, I'm calling the cops on you because you have people, like, literally illegally living here. Yeah. You know, and... Damn. Yeah, I didn't know about any of this, and we got into this. We made this event happen, but, whoa, I was, like, so happy to get out of that space. Yeah, I can only imagine. That's, like, the opposite of a cool warehouse. It's just, yeah. like... Um, yeah a sketch word well thank you for shedding some light on that have do you guys have plans for the future with that yeah so my plan is once we get some uh like uh this warehouse stuff's kind of sorted out and i have like a little bit of breathing room i want to start yeah i want to start with like just releasing my own music on shake shop and then maybe having like people doing remixes and then kind of once i have more bandwidth that's going to turn into like another event series mainly the stuff that i want to do like in europe and like focus on like smaller club shows like 300 500 capacity like smaller rooms yeah and then uh i don't know like you know start releasing music from other people but i do want to focus more on like 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 vinyl with shake shop mm, like yeah like proper record yeah, yeah, releases yeah. because it, like yeah. i said like, i think the model's more like sustainable and it's easier to scale and like i don't i don't, I don't know like for me like you know Places like Beatport and TrackSource like a great place to like you know grow discover fans and people can discover your music. So I'll probably always still release music there. But I feel like pressing vinyl is something that you can like hold in your hands and like that kind of like adds a little more value to the music. You know, if you spend two dollars on a download and you buy it, like you, let's say you lose your USB stick, you're just like, meh, whatever. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, yeah, and totally. Also, I've always thought about this too. Besides the fact that Spotify literally controls what you listen to and your algorithm and mm -hmm. all that, um, they could just turn it off. Yeah, they can. tomorrow. Yeah, if yeah, they wanted for to. Sure. And with, with EMP blast, Spotify's yeah. down. With, with it's not uh, the first thing we would worry about. With with, with records, you know, it's also um, the personal relationships you have with like different record stores, mm. and I kind of like that a little bit more. Like, I like the idea of like having a community. Knowing, like, I can call Cynthia in Berlin at Elevate and be like, hey, you know what? Like, I got this new record coming out. I'd love to put it in your store. Like, hey, is there any way you can hook it up with, like, you know, like a good point of sale? Like, can you put it, like, in higher cool up? Or put it, yeah. We'll make it look cool. Yeah. It, exactly. Like, and I, this is, I, I can't call Spotify and, like, no. work out a deal with somebody because mm -hmm. I have a relationship with that that way. Yeah. You know, one of the things that, like, you know, I love about, like, Michael Serafini is, like, every time, like, these big name artists come into town, like, you know, Serafini makes it a point that like he, you know, people will come in and say, okay, well, what's the new hot shit? And then Serafini will just like personal shopper his way around the store. And he always makes sure that he like is putting in like local, you who's, know, who's Michael Serafini. Michael Serafini is the owner of gramophone records and the guy who runs mm. the queen parties at smart bar. Oh, okay. But cool. you know, Serafini's always making sure that he's like, you know, Pointing, Point, people point, pointing people towards like Chicago producers and stuff like this, which I think is amazing. He got me on to uh, Octave, uh, Octa Octa mm -hmm. and Aris Drew. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yep. It's pretty cool. Yeah. Michael cares a lot. Yep. So mm. that's good. Like, if you have the time, <clears throat> go talk to Serafini at Gramophone. That man is a plethora of knowledge, like just like an encyclopedia of music. Yeah, I bet. And he's not going to give you the like, you know, what kind of food am I going to get in Chicago? Like, just pizza. We were talking hot dogs. <laughs> this is a different episode. But uh, he's going to give you a more nuanced answer. Yeah. yeah. Go to Harold's. Yeah. Going to, yeah, talking about music specifically. Want to hear a hot take? Yeah. Yeah. Harold's is mid. 
Ooh, what's your favorite wing joint? Uh, uh, okay, I think I think coming from St. Louis, like I think like 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 Chicago barbecue and like fried chicken and it's like I don't know. We got the, like that southern twang a little bit in St. Louis. Oh yeah, well, it's well, not like proper barbecue. Yeah, no, like St. Louis has like you've you've got barbecue, yeah. you've got ribs, you've got brisket, but, but that's all we got. I mean, I, well, I was gonna say, <laughs> but it's yeah. good. It is good. To get that slow roast. Yeah, yeah. That's that's uh, ain't shit else to do but eat in St. Louis. But <laughs> but yeah, that's my yeah. that's my my that's hot take hot about Harold's. Cool, man. Well, I don't know. It's been we've been going for a sec. Um, Want to do a little wrap up, which is. We talked about what your first concert was, but what's like your favorite, just most like game changing concert that you went to? You went to go see someone, you're like, dude, that was nuts. Ooh. It could be because of the venue, could be because of the just, the, it wasn't the venue at all, but it, the guy was throwing down or something. Hmm. You know, there's been quite a few, um, and for different reasons. So one of the ones I think that like, I was like, oh shit, this is how you play disco music is, uh, I saw Derek Carter at Prince Charles in Berlin and I, for the entirety of his set, didn't like leave the spot that I was in. Mm. And I was just like, holy crap. Like, because I knew already knew from the DJing, like how hard it is to mix disco because has like varying, varying tempo, tempo, tempos yeah. exactly plus you're doing with vocals and like different like elements and like man he put that stuff together and blended it together like as if it was like one track and i was like holy shit like is he babying the decks or is he like pre-quantizing them i like, yeah, I, I, don't know. I was like uh off my face and having a great time <laughs> so, <laughs> so i wasn't thinking about the production yeah, no 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 i wasn't yeah, looking at I'm any just of that enjoying it yeah i wasn't checking out how, how he was eqing everything i was just like derek is killing it yeah. And that really opened my eyes to like how you can like really mix certain things in with like a lot of energy. And like, I really learned a lot from like his mixing style. Um, one of the other things I would say is like, uh, like I saw, um, uh, was it like, uh, honey, like Dijon when she first moved to Berlin playing Panorama bar and the way Honey, like, genre jumps and moves around and, like, does, like, a little bit of disco, a little bit of house, a little bit of techno was, like, really, really eye-opening. And then, mm-hmm. um, like, listening to, like, I saw, like, Kahan play before she passed away as well and, like, her interpretation of techno. Uh, the other one I would say is I was at ADE for a height event, which was, like, spelled, like, uh, like H-Y-A- uh h-y-t-e it was like a from the production company of like local dice actually called 99 ghosts used Mm. to do these like height parties and i saw ryan elliott throw down and and like a room of like five thousand people in amsterdam and i was like holy shit wow like like and i was like okay like ryan ryan will like literally move through like disco techno house breaks all like in one set and it is like so flawless and he, he's able to carry that energy into like every you know like genre and music and kind of like tell a story in a way where it's just like still like just you know like he, he can he can maintain like a certain groove throughout the entire thing without kind of like taking the wind out of the sails or 
changing the tempo up in such a way where you know it doesn't really like vibe with like the last like you know like tracks and stuff that he put on and i think that was like where i was like all right well this is this is what like really really good djing sounds like mm. yeah gotcha interesting ryan elliott like if you don't know who ryan elliott is look him up ryan elliott for sure shout out something yeah. we didn't talk about which we're i don't know if we actually will which is just like drug culture because i never want to just <laughs> fully talk about that but uh there's got to be some differences between here and berlin slash europe in general depends depends all right we'll just leave it at that because <laughs> honestly like i don't <laughs> want to I'll, I'll like summarize it real quick like uh it depends on the venue so a lot of like bottle service spaces like uh where like they're really really trying to push like push like alcohol sales like you typically tend to see a lot of uh like you know the colombian uh white special <laughs> uh-huh. we'll just say that and then uh a lot of like the minimal scene does a lot of that like horsey nene powder you know <laughs> mm. Mm-hmm. that's like really <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> starts with a k yeah yeah and uh that's actually pretty big in the european scene as well i feel like it's getting big in general yeah right now yeah and then there's obviously the the uh everybody's like you know go-to's the you know molly and the ecstasy. E. exactly yeah. those are those are the staples for sure yeah, yeah. but I, I would say like every i personally don't like 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 i don't like cocaine clubs like Mm. that i mean i think like i don't know to me like cocaine's like the devil and i think it like brings out the worst in people um yeah because it doesn't have that loving aspect of like it's like it's really aggressive (laughs) yeah yeah yeah, yeah, for sure not my not my thing but hey tweet to each their own you know so yeah yeah thank you for uh giving us a quick lay of the land um I know we've shouted out a lot of people, but there, is there anyone you want to just give special credit to? Um, hmm. Or just shout outs in general. I mean, uh, I mean, I, I, I mentioned a lot of names today and a lot of people that, you know, I respect and work with. Um, yeah, I don't know. Let's just like shout it out to the people. Let's shout it out to the people that the, uh, the that people care. that we mentioned. No, and just, I would say like the the people that care, the people that go out, the people that you know putting shows on and investing their time into the scene and you know putting that labor of love in, and the people that are buying tickets and going to shows and keeping it sustainable so we can keep doing what we love. Let's yeah. let's shout out to those people. Yeah, yeah, love let's that. Go. Yeah. All right, guys. Well, if you made it this far good for you <laughs> good on you and uh, we'll see you next time thanks for listening cheers peace peace